Blog Talk Radio. Ten years ago, a crack commando unit was sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from maximum security stockade to the Los Angeles underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire... Yes, it's time once again for another Big Fake Radio Show. But hey, there's no Kevin Jank this week. So uh, joining me as always is the new, new Larry, Tuffy. Hello. Hey, how you doing there, Tuffy? Now, uh, without Jank here, you're going to have to be twice as funny. All right? Ooh. Cannot make that promise. We do have a guest this evening. He should be calling here shortly. Our old buddy Miles Watson will be coming on the show. And we will be discussing the film Highlander 2, The Quickening. But yeah. we didn't watch Highlander 2, The Quickening. Technically, we watched Highlander 2, the renegade version, right? That's yeah. what we watched. We'll get into that in a minute. I think uh, Miles is here. Let me see if this is him. Hey, hey, Miles Watson, is that you? Gentlemen, it is me. Hey, there he is, Miles Watson. Uh, Tuffy's here with us, Miles, but Kevin Jank is not here. My hated, hated rival. <laughs> yeah, he, he said he refused to do the show if you were coming on. Well, that was that was intelligent of him, but I still kind of hurts my feelings. I mean, I'm not saying so, he's wrong. Uh, no, Kevin Jank. Uh, I guess the other Jank cousins are in town. Because uh, Miles, you're not aware of this, but Jank has about 64 cousins, and uh, they they like to get together. Some people call them uh, a cult. You know, depends on how you look at things. But they, they get together and they, uh, I don't know, sacrifice squirrels or something. I don't know what they do, but they get together and uh, they're traveling around uh, going to uh, nightclubs. or It's Huffy. What are they doing? Did he say what they're doing? I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. But anyway, that's why he's not here. It's nothing personal, Miles. Even no, though he does I hate you. That. you know, he, he should hate me because, you know, we were neck and neck for such a long time. And then Flea market through, fantasy, through no fault of my own, yeah. I was lapped by him yeah. and left in the dust. Yeah, because he's January. my already vast inferiority complex. Well, you better watch out because Tuffy recorded Flea Market Fantasy last night, and then he's going to come back on next week too, so he'll be up to three. Why, yeah. why have yeah. I been abolished? I was, I was on a roll. <laughs> I was in well, command, and in then there. suddenly it cast out. We'll get you back We're in January through everything for a loop, you know, scheduling. Yeah. yeah, but see, there's a there's a January, but there's no Milesuary. Yeah, there's I know. No I don't know how we can fit it in Watch there. Watchember uh-huh. or anything. I mean, like trials. So yeah, it's tough to get the, What's the up month. With that? Yeah, it's tough to get the months around. We Mails, oh. Watson. Yeah, it's it's hopeless. I, I tried. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Males Watson, maybe. Males, we could do that. We'll try. We'll see what happens. But anyway, Miles, thanks for joining us here this evening because uh, we like to watch the terrible movies here uh, on this here fake radio show. 
And uh, you ha- you came up with some pretty good suggestions when I asked you what movies you wanted to watch. But we eventually <laughs> settled on Highlander 2. The Suckening. Yeah. <laughs> the Suckening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we'll get into Highlander 2 in a bit. Because we, we reviewed Highlander on this show uh, maybe, I don't know, Tuffy, when was that, a year ago probably by now? Time goes quick. I have no idea. It's the quickening. But that was a Tuffy choice. So, I'm sure, Tuffy, you were excited to to watch uh, Highlander 2, right? Yeah. <laughs> you can hear the excitement in his voice. Yeah, it's palpable. It's palpable. <laughs> I was excited because I had forgotten what happened in the Highlander outside of that there could be yeah. only one. But you yeah, don't, you don't actually one. need to know any of that to watch the sequel, but we'll, we'll yeah. get into that. Sure. <laughs> I was excited to see how much Sean Connery could do in about three days of shooting. Yeah, <laughs> yes, and I'm sure he was too. Yeah, we'll talk about all that. But, uh, yeah, so look forward to that. Uh, but, Miles Watson, what else have you been up to? It's uh, middle of winter here because you're back in PA now these days. You're not oh, out yeah. there in uh, sunny L.A. How, yeah, how do I'd you like the forgotten. Pennsylvania winter? I've, I've forgotten how much fun it is. You know, there's yeah. the perpetually like my my the skin of my hands now looks like the skin of a 300 year old man um yeah. i've gone through about four tubes of chapstick uh this winter already because my lips are always cracked and dry um <laughs> what an attractive picture you're painting in hey ladies he's single if you're wondering out there yeah. he's single. <laughs> who wouldn't who wouldn't want me after that intro um yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because like you forget things like how dry your skin gets, how like discouraging <laughs> it is to wake up, and it's like like today for example, we had this terrific windstorm, yeah. and then branches were down, oh, stumps like those recycling bins are in the middle of the road and everything. And I was almost I was driving down 83 South this morning, and I was almost blown into oncoming traffic. Yikes. Which, granted, in LA you do have windstorms, really bad windstorms, but. They're not freezing cold. So that's yeah, it's pretty nuts yeah. last night because we were recording Flea Market Fantasy and my power went out and the internet went out and everything. And uh, so that screwed that up. But then I went outside later and it was like, it seemed like a tornado was coming. The sky looked that way, but it was very cold. It was very, very cold. It was strange. Oh, no. Yeah, today was a brutal day. It, it's uh, You don't get days like this in, in Los Angeles. So, yeah, that was... Uh, it's it's uh it's been an adjustment. Let me put it that yeah, way. Yeah, I can imagine. It has been imagine. an adjustment. So uh what have you been doing these days? You been writing? I'm writing, I'm working, I'm uh I'm doing a couple projects actually. I got um I can't actually talk about them because it's uh, due to the the wacky non-disclosure agreement. But <laughs> I am, wow, you I said a non-disclosure up. agreement. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they're real things and they have teeth, so you you can't you can't fuck around with a non-disclosure agreement. But um, <laughs> oh yeah, I will say that uh, it's nice. It's nice. I knew if I moved from Los Angeles, I was discussing this with uh, your friend and mine, Pat Piccarelli, last night. Hey, Pat Piccarelli. Um, yeah, shout out to Pat. Uh, I was discussing with him how funny it is, you know, that the whole time I was in LA, I uh, I worked, you know, I lived in LA for twelve and a half years. I worked. Probably on 200 episodes of television, four or five movies. And all the writing work I did when I was in Los Angeles, all of it probably occupied about a month of my time in 12 and a half years. 12 and a half years. So 
and the amount of money I made was pretty pitiful, and just on writing. And I knew that if I moved, I said, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to move, and then writing gigs are going to start hitting me once I've moved 3,000 miles away from L.A., and that's exactly well, what that's happened. that's good, though. It's good news. I'm not complaining. Yeah. It's just so yeah. predictable that, that once, you, once you get away from the epicenter of all those people competing, you know, all those people fighting for crumbs in a bread factory, the, you get away from it, and suddenly everything changes. It's, it's bizarre. You can have anything you want in the universe as long as you trick the universe into thinking you don't want it. Now, I, I know you've signed the non-disclosure agreement and all, but I did hear rumors that uh, you're re- working on a reboot of ALF. Is that true? <laughs> Fuck you. I hate ALF. You know I hate ALF. Anyone listening to this, he's lying. I, was, I hate ALF. I, I was going to put together like an ALF trivia game tonight for you, but ah, it seems like a lot of work. I would immediately hang up. I, uh, yeah. Ralph is Alf or Ralph, whatever the fuck his name is, and Punky Brewster. Yeah. I, I would like to tie Ralph and Punky Brewster to the same stake and burn them both. Oh, alive. man. I don't know. Uh, Punky looks pretty good these days. I don't know if you've seen Punky, but, you know, she's getting it done in her 40s. I'm just... <laughs> I, I, there were just certain, there were certain television programs from the '80s that 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 one with was it Perfect Strangers with Balky. <laughs> All right, I'm going to end this call right now. I fucking love Perfect yeah. Strangers. <laughs> yeah, see, see, again, that's another one for the mass grave that I'm digging. Oh no, 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 There were certain shows from the '80s that had a visceral reaction of hatred that that came out of out of me and my soul, and those are three of them. Balky, you know, the only shut th- up. Uh, <laughs> no, Balky's great. The only uh, Punky Brewster episode I can remember is uh, w- there was one where uh, one of her little buddies got locked in a refrigerator. You remember that? <laughs> well, I did that. I locked her in the refrigerator. I was hoping nobody would find yeah. it. Got stuck in an old refrigerator. It was like one of them uh, uh, episodes with a lesson. You know, like, hey, kids, don't play in <laughs> don't refrigerators. Climb in, don't yeah. climb it. Wow, that's – okay, that's deep. All right, I like that. They, you yeah. know, they're, they're dispensing wisdom. It's all good. Save my life. I quit playing yeah, in refrigerators immediately. Yeah. Uh, Look at that. Why? Why? <laughs> why? I'm glad you're writing, though. That's good news. And uh, Pat doing. I haven't talked to Pat in a few weeks or a couple months. <laughs> I don't know. I lose all track Pat, of time. Pat's good. He had, a, he had some, some issues with some uh, an eye issue that was pretty serious. Um, I don't know. Had a... Um, well, I, I would let him tell the story because he's going to tell it better than I can. But it was pretty serious, but they fixed it. So he's got to have eye surgery. Um, good Lord. But he gets to keep his eye, which is the good news. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. It was apparently on the table that he wasn't going to keep it. It was a real sudden thing. Um, Man. But, uh, That's not good. Yeah, I got, he's okay. I'll have to reach out to him. Yeah, he's fine. He, he's, he's in, he had a string in, there where he was having form. a knee. He was having, like, a leg surgery every other week. Remember that? He was yeah, well, a... it's almost as if him being shot, hit with shrapnel, stabbed, and all these things that he spent <laughs> in his life. It's, it's almost as if his body didn't appreciate it. I don't know. I don't get it. That's why I don't leave the house. Vietnam and 20 years in the NYPD, it's almost as if somehow that caused him to incur bodily harm from time to time. I don't get it. could also be the 10 the years on the LCS hockey radio show as well. Yeah, that, well, that probably sucked most of the life out of him. Yeah. I can imagine. Uh, what else? Uh, hey, the UFC, 
Did you see the uh, Adesanya? Uh, all right, Israel Adesanya is how they always say it. But then uh, Ariel Hawani always makes a point of saying Adesanya. So I don't know how do you want to pronounce it. How do you pronounce Israel's name, Miles? Adesanya. Yeah. I don't know if that's right. That's just how I pronounce it. Yeah. Um, But did you see the fight with Robert Whitaker last weekend? I did, actually. Now, I hear that uh, a lot of people, not a lot of people, but I guess Chao and uh, Justin Gaethje and uh, Michael Chandler and some other wrestler types were saying that they thought Whitaker won. But everyone else was saying, no, 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 no. It was easy all the way. Well, what did you think? My take on it was, and this is not, you know, this is a bit of, I guess this is a narrative. I don't want to pretend like I'm doing anything original or innovative here. But my take on it is, is that Adesanya at his best, you know, he reminds me a little of Mishida in that he can do these spectacular things. They're obviously stylistically nothing alike. But Mishida was a guy who was very boring sometimes, except when he wasn't, when he was a highlight reel. There was so they're, no they're counter strikers, and they manage distance right. well. So, and yeah. Adesanya is actually getting an Anderson Silva reputation of being someone who is incredibly talented, who is a winner, who's you know he's this that he's the other thing, but he's also kind of boring sometimes. And he he because Silva, as you well remember, I'm sure, Silva was pretty boring a lot of his his during his reign. He he didn't show up a lot of times, or he was screwing around. Um, yeah, he was. He, he had spectacular busy. knockouts and stuff, but only yeah. with like people would come at him. You know, like if they would sit back, right. He wouldn't do anything, right? So, and there were times when he, when even when people did come at him, he just wanted to play. And he he reminded me actually of and it's no it's no mis, you know accident that Anderson Silva's favorite boxer was Roy Jones because Roy Jones was often a guy who he could have had an incredible run of knockouts, but he ended up just kind of wanting to play with his food and not really put guys away when he was at higher weights. He didn't want to take any risks, and he just wanted to collect his checks and his 12-round decisions. And Adesanya is at a crossroads, in my estimation, for do you want to be a guy who collects decisions and wins title defenses and is just that winning fighter that nobody really cares that much about, who's pound for pound one of the best, or do you want to go out there and wreck motherfuckers and be the guy that puts butts in seats and gets pay-per-views and is exciting because it does. The UFC is sports entertainment. It's not a sport. That's right. You know, pure being. It is is sports entertainment. And you have to entertain. And guys like Chuck Liddell knew that you, you know, Chuck Liddell could have extended his career five years if he wanted to wrestle. He was an outstanding wrestler. He could take guys down at will. No one could take him down. No one could keep him down. He, if he got taken down, he just stood up. The only person I ever saw take him down and keep him down was Randy Couture, and that happened fair in, like, the middle part of his career, not early, you know, late in his career. And he learned a lot from, from getting schooled by Couture in that first fight, and he knocked him out in the subsequent two. He learned that it's all about destroying guys and, and becoming that electrifying killer that people want to watch. And, and, you know, Vandalay Silva was like that during his pride run. Chuck Liddell was like that. There's been a lot of guys like that in, in mixed martial arts. Adesanya can put guys away, but I'm getting that Anderson Silva vibe off him lately that he just wants to win and get his paycheck. And I think that that's – I think he needs to sit down and, and ask himself if that's the kind of fighter that he wants to be. Yeah, I think it is. He just signed a big contract, a new contract with UFC, so I think he's quite happy and – 
He's just going to keep doing what he's doing. Yeah, they signed Anderson Silva to a nine-fight deal or some ridiculous yeah. thing like that, and that's why, you know, I mean, and look, and, and I think he wanted to protect that. And so he generally fought safety first, and he turned in these boring performances. It almost became kind of a sideshow fighter in the latter part of his career. You know, he had those bizarre performances against, like, Damian Maya and stuff where, yeah. he, you know, Dana White walked out of the stadium and, like, the game <laughs> yeah. was so boring. And, and it's, you know, your job is, is not just to – fight and win it's sports entertainment your job is to entertain your job is to put on a show and i understand a lot of fighters are like well my longevity my longevity but the ufc model is not about longevity if they wanted longevity mm-hmm. they'd, they'd have a pride model and they'd give guys easy fights to to let them you know relax let them uh take it easy pad their record build their reputation but in the ufc they're all about grinding guys in and out of the sport you do five years your body's broken down they throw you out and that's, that's a pretty heartless model, and it's not a very intelligent model, in my opinion, but it's the model the UFC has. And if you're going to play it safe in the UFC, you are not going to, you're not going to endear yourself to the fans, and you shouldn't cry and whine down the road if you're not making big money. Because, you know, I mean, whatever you think of Conor McGregor, he made that organization pay attention to him. He, he made people want to see his fights. Because have you seen Mag- his mouth? Have you seen McGregor lately? No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. He's a he's a tiny giant. Yeah, uh, Tuffy. Uh, have you seen McGregor lately? Any pictures of him? No. He's super juiced uh, with steroids. <laughs> They're coming out of his ears. <laughs> he's like, Dude, that's all natural. What, what are you talking? About? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's all it's all natural. A guy who's like 140 pounds normally can easily, you know, become a 200-pound fucking monster of muscle, especially when yeah. he's nursing a, a shattered leg. Yeah, it's just a coincidence, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. he did that to himself. I mean, but I mean, at his height, before he, I mean, I can't even fault McGregor, though, because McGregor did the right thing in the sense of, money-wise, he built such a brand for himself that he got that ridiculous... Yeah. Mayweather freak fight that put a hundred million into his pocket or whatever it was. And that was worth, if he lived to be a thousand, he wouldn't make that much money in the UFC literally. So he, he threw away his his MMA career to do that. And that's why he's been losing, but he made more money than every other fighter in MMA combined in the history of the sport. Think about that. Yeah. He's the winner. Hyperbole. He's the winner. Although there are some uh, fighter. In the stories history out of there. MMA, if you put their combined <laughs> earnings together, <laughs> so just, I'm just yeah. underlining that because it, it shows what that he knew what he was doing, but now he's back in MMA, which is a tiger pit, and you know you got to be a tiger in there, and he he's not a tiger right now. I don't know if he can if he can come back. Cause he just changed the whole way he fought because he started leaning heavily on box like boxing instead of yeah I don't know. But uh, and he's also moved up to 155, where it's like the toughest division in fighting, you know. So yeah, I mean, um, we all know if you if you follow MMA at all, you know that there are some weight classes that are traditionally very thin and weak, like heavyweight, right? And light heavyweight is kind of a mixed bag; it goes up and down. Sometimes it's kind of deep, sometimes it's kind of shallow. One one division that's always generally stuffed with talent is basically like once you get to welterweight and down, yeah, you know, like. In the UFC. Those whole those mid range weights are all packed 
with talent. They always have been. Welterweight's probably, you know, generally been the most deep division. I would, I would argue that, you know, over the course of the history, I would say that welterweight's probably the deepest division, although it obviously has alternated at times. Um, light heavyweight or middleweight sometimes had a murderer's row in it of great guys. But, like, once you get down into that sort of lightweight, welterweight, you're dealing with a lot of really good fighters, and including guys you've never really heard of but who are really dangerous, who are sucks to fight because if you lose them, you don't really gain anything. You know, if you beat them, you don't gain much because nobody knows who they are, but they're still good. And he's, guys are getting better. Like, he stepped away from the sport for years, and look at, look at Poirier. You know, like, he got better and started – he easily beat Dustin the first time they fought. Yep. And he got, he got smacked in both the rematches because he's not evolving, and they are. And that's the thing about MMA is people evolve. The sport that keeps evolving. Yeah, you can't fight you can't once away in from three years and still be competitive. It just doesn't work. No, it's ridiculous. Ken yeah. Shamrock, that was one of the most interesting things he ever said was that he said when he stepped away to do wrestling, pro wrestling, he did his wrestling commitment, and then he came back to MMA. And he said the minute he came back, he realized the sport had passed him by. Yeah. It just wasn't the same sport. He said he was fighting basically in that early mid-level mentality, and the other guys had had lapped him. They'd gone around and evolved, and they were in the mid-late level mentality, and they were just better. Everybody was better at everything. They were better at grappling, they were better at wrestling, and they were better at striking. And he was like, I, I knew immediately when I came back that I wasn't, you know, the dominant guy anymore. I wasn't like in that zone of I'm an elite fighter. He was like, I, I was already left behind, and he stayed for years and years and got beat up and everything, but. It's true. It's like a moving train in, in MMA. If you jump off, you, you, it's very hard to, to catch up on foot. You know, once, once you get out of the game, it's constantly evolving. So that is what it is. But it's, uh, it's still, the sport's still evolving, which is one of the things that still makes it interesting. What do you think about Gaethje Oliveira coming up, the 155-pound championship? I think that uh, Gaethje is um, – I don't think he knows how to be in a bad fight. <laughs> yeah, he does. Eventually, yeah, eventually he'll be, you know, it's like it's like all those boxers, you know, like Mickey Warden or Turrigatti and stuff. I mean, they have such short careers in a sense, but it's so entertaining. Um, I, I would watch him at any time because he's one of those guys, he's a kill-or-be-killed type of fighter. He's one of those guys who goes in and he either wants to knock out his opponent or or get knocked out trying, which I really, as a fan, I really appreciate it. As a human being, again, this might be hypocritical given what I just said. <laughs> it, yeah, go figure. His his career is going to be short because of the way he's approaching these these fights. I mean, it's it's like I'm loath to quote John Jones on anything or give him any credit whatsoever. But he said it's not you know when he was having his beef with with uh, Chuck Liddell, he said it's not my fault. You know, he let himself get hit in the chin 10,000 times in his career. Um, <laughs> Which is why Izzy fights the way he does, you know? Right. Chuck, Chuck, you know, was entertaining, and he also got hit a lot, and then his, his chin went. If you protect your chin, you're going to extend your career, but you're also going to be a less interesting fighter. That's just, you know, it's just a fact of life. It's a fact of fighting. It's, it's, the killers are always more fun to watch. I'd rather watch highlights of Tommy Morrison fight a hundred times than Larry Holmes. And Larry Holmes is, you know, <laughs> 15 times, 20 times better heavyweight. You know, Larry Holmes, all time great heavyweight, but who wants to see Larry Holmes throw jabs for 15 rounds? You know what I mean? Uh, like he was, 
he he was in some great entertaining fights. He had a lot of heart, you know, Ernie Shavers at war, get knocked down. But like Larry Holmes wasn't a fun fighter to watch because it's who wants to see a guy throw ten thousand jabs and right hand you know, an occasional right hand. It's like he extended his career because he didn't take that kind of punishment. But as a fan, when I look at a guy like uh Justin Gaethje, it's like he's gonna be one of those comments that burns real bright <laughs> and then a couple of years from now, they're going to be like, oh, like, look at, what is it? Is it Cub Swanson who lost his chin or Gabe or Cody Garbrandt? Garbrandt. Garbrandt. That's it. I get them confused in my head for some reason. Cody Garbrandt was like the typical example of the guy who, you know, he was all up in everybody's face for a minute and then his chin went. And now it's like Luke Rockhold's a similar fighter. His chin yep. is gone. And he went from being a world-class pound for pound, like top, five top six guy in the pound for pound ratings to being a guy who gets knocked out every fight. You can never yeah. get your chin back once it goes. So I think I, I'm excited for any, any fight that he's in and, you know, you can't sleep on, on Charles, but uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a short career, but a very entertaining one. Yeah. I hope Gaethje wins, but uh, Oliver is really good and I could see him choking him out. Um, uh, yeah, everybody thinks he's going to win that fight by submission. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't really handicap MMA fights <laughs> because it's just MMA is uh, so tough to predict because you can win every second of a fight and then get caught in a submission. Yep. Um, and it, there are hundreds of examples of that. And uh, it's it's brutal to to try to handicap those those kind of fights. But I would actually I would say that Oliveira will probably win, but. I wouldn't bet on the fight because I feel like Gaethje can end that fight at any second just with the violence that he brings. The sheer violence. Like, he's a riot. He's a one-man riot of a of a human being. You know, he just brings violence. It is. And they don't expect McGregor to be back, you know, until um, – they say he's going to fight this year, but not till like, the fall maybe, like uh, November or but something But the thing like that. is, is McGregor will – his ego will demand that he gets, like, a title shot right away. And he's not well, ready for it's it. not so even he's his ego demand. Out again. It's uh, Dana White and UFC are going to demand it because <laughs> that'll be the biggest yeah. fight they can make. <laughs> because they're stupid and they always go for the biggest fight they can make. That's how they ruined Ronda Rousey. Yeah, they should Ronda let him fight didn't a couple herself. cans. Like if this was yep. Pride or you know they'd let him fight a couple cans to get his legs back. But exactly. UFC they don't do that. You know they just put him one hundred one hundred. You are a hundred percent correct in my view. He he had an opportunity with Ronda to keep that gravy train going indefinitely, but he did what he always does. He takes the <laughs> shortest possible payday. Instead of the, you know, you, like you win the lottery, right? And they give you that uh, a chance between you can take the lump sum payout or the annuity. <laughs> and every dumbass takes the lump sum payout, and then the IRS takes 70% of it. And then they're like, what happened to my $100 million? I only got $20 million. Um, you, you, it pride understood like when your when your star gets knocked out, you build them back up. You build them because they came from pro wrestling. Get them, you know, pride yeah, stars. Exactly, you build them back. And in the UFC, it's like no, they'll they'll give McGregor a title shot. He'll get knocked out again, and then he's finished. Like it, it, they don't care. They they do not understand those. They don't play a long game in the UFC. They're all about grinding people in and out, which is insane in my view. Because how many big stars like McGregor has the UFC ever had? Oh, what if McGregor comes back a light heavyweight? I know you're, well, yeah, I know you're, I know you're being somewhat facetious, yes. but yeah. the thing, but not entirely because he's a, he's like 200 pounds right now. Yeah. Um, he has to weigh like 190, 195, something like that right now. Easy. 
And it's not as easy to shed muscle intelligently as it is to shed no. fat. You know, like if you're fat, yeah. you can dump that shit. But if you're if you're losing muscle, like just ask Roy Jones. When Roy Jones was never the same after he went up to heavyweight, he beat John yeah. Ruiz, he got a heavyweight title, and then he went back down to light heavy, and his career was over. He got his chin was gone, his power was gone, his reflexes were gone because he lost 20 pounds of muscle. You can't do that. It's terrible for your body. Um, yeah. But I I feel like McGregor, you know. The Nate Diaz, I mean, granted, Nate Diaz is not the greatest example because he does have such a good chin and conditioning, but the first Nate Diaz fight was a classic example of Conor McGregor was a huge featherweight, right, who basically could fight at lightweight easily because he was so big, but he went all the way up to welterweight, and you saw how his punches were taken by a welterweight because Nate Diaz is basically a huge lightweight who can easily, you know, He's yeah. a welterweight and a lightweight. He he's neither. Like Nate Diaz was always saying, like I'm really a lightweight. No, he's not. He he walks yeah, around. I know Nate Diaz walks around 200 pounds. So <laughs> he is both a lightweight and a welterweight. So it's like, but you saw McGregor's bombs were hurting Diaz, but they weren't. They didn't have that same incredible devastating effect that they would have had if he was if they both those guys were fighting at lightweight. Because there's an old adage in boxing that, you know, as you move up, your power goes down. You can be the biggest puncher in the world at 160, but when you move to 168, your power goes down by, like, 25%. And if you go to 175, your power is going to go down by, like, 50%. And if you go – if you're, you know, an MMA, if these guys want to move up in weight, some people will carry that, that, that power up, and McGregor did. You know, he's a featherweight to a lightweight, and I'm sure he could knock out some welterweights, but the bigger he gets, the less – power he's going to have and i don't know yeah. if he's if his ego and his cocaine habit will allow for that to <laughs> enter into his head sorry did i say that out loud <laughs> there's all kind of stories about him and uh, the irish mob and everything and he's all tied up into him and i don't know it's crazy well, it's almost like a, an episode of cage life <laughs> that's right your book cage life knuckle down shamelessly plugging <laughs> One nine books dot com, Amazon. Go That's buy right. all those books. A one nine book, Cage Light, <laughs> MMA, and the Mob meet head on. Which, and I will say this, I didn't make that shit up. The book is obviously <laughs> fiction, but the idea of the interchange between MMA and organized crime, or boxing and organized crime, is real. And as Mike Dell just, as you just pointed out, in Europe it's especially bad, and in Asia, uh, it's much worse than in the United States, but in Canada, but. There is definitely, there's definitely like if you look into the history of hey. European kickboxing, like K1. Yeah. But by the way, you bring up the uh, the Cage Life, your book. There is a story that was going around that uh, this wasn't. There's a couple uh, guys that McGregor punched in a pub. There's a famous one where he smacked an old guy who refused his uh, whiskey or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. But there, but there was a story that he punched a guy who was related to some Irish mob boss, and that got him all kinds of trouble with him. Much like Cage Life. Right? Much like the, Cage the plot, Life, because these plot of your novel. things do happen. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, that whole book turns on the fact that the hero, you know, at the beginning of the book slugs a guy in a nightclub. He's working as a yep. bouncer, and he slugs a guy in a nightclub who turns out to be mobbed up, and he has to go to his mobbed-up cousin to get out of trouble with the mobster that he hit, and then he owes him, and then it just, just spirals. And I based my book not so much on MMA, the first one. The second one's based on the MMA connection to the Yakuza, although I made it the American mob for obvious reasons for that book. But in the first book, 
I, I, if we were here with a certain person from Comic Book Syndicate, uh, <laughs> a Canadian, Michael, um, Mike L, as he's known on the streets yeah, of Vancouver, Toronto, Ottawa, and Chilliwack, um, Windsor, Windsor, Windsor. Yeah, I was, I was, I was naming various Canadian cities, hoping I was yeah. going to get it right, and I, I, <laughs> I, I failed. I failed. Go figure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, there was a boxer named Eddie Melo who uh, was a really good boxer back in the day. This is probably like the 80s or something. And he, uh, he was a very promising boxer, but he got into that nightlife, and he loved the glamour of the girls, you know, the danger. The, he, started, he got mobbed up. He started being an enforcer for the mob, the Canadian mob, while he was uh, fighting professionally. And his life spiraled out of control, and he ended up getting, uh, getting murdered. And when I heard his story, that actually laid a lot of the seeds for the, the Cage Life story in my head. But art imitates life, and these stories are very common. You know, these guys like to they – they go to these nightclubs, they rub shoulders with these dangerous people, and before you know it, bad things happen. You know, really bad things sometimes. You've got to be careful who you associate with. That's why I had to quit hanging out with Tuffy because uh, mm-hmm. he's always taking away these nightclubs. There's too much trouble. Uh, are, are, we gonna a, are, are we going to get a nightclub in Greensburg? Yeah, Greensburg nightclubs are always dangerous. Hey, there was a shooting here in Greensburg the other day. Like at uh, do you know the Rialto, that bar we went with Pat? Uh, like to yeah. I eat French fries at or whatever. I think that we went there, right? Did we go there one time? Yeah, or? I was there. I was oh. there twice. Uh, well, there's a shooting there, like two weeks ago. No. Yeah. And I guess uh, it's like the crime rate in Greensburg has been skyrocketing ever since we got that casino in town. We got a casino oh. now. <laughs> yeah, we got one here people too. People go play kitty glitter, and then they get all hopped up on the on the cocaine, and then they run through the town shooting people. That's what happens now, all because of the casino. It's horrible. I don't know. Yeah, we have one too, and it's an absolute magnum for uh magnet for uh just every type type of petty kind of weird crime you can imagine yeah people should just be staying at home playing online slots like i do that's where the that's where the action is the online slots all right uh hey miles are we ever going to get a, a third cage life book yeah, we are, and uh, I've been I've been meaning you know in my head I've been, it, for a long time I, I really did not have a good plot for the third one. I, I I kept kicking around ideas, and I just couldn't think of anything I liked. So I was doing my you know I did Sinner's Cross, the World War II novel, and as you know because you're my editor and formatter and everything else, sir, uh, <laughs> I've been concentrating on some shorter stuff just for fun outside the box, different types of of genres that I don't normally touch. But in my mind, I've always wanted to go back and write a third book. And I I tried some openings and they didn't really work for me, but I finally figured a plot for a third book and a fourth book. So at some point, yeah, this year, I think, or possibly next year, there's going to be a third and possibly I might write them together because I think the third one's going to be a little shorter. It's going to be very tight, very fast you know, extremely lean read and go into the fourth book. I think I, I think I finally figured it out. I didn't want to just write a book. Uh, since that was my first novel and my second, I have kind of a sentimental attachment to it, and I didn't want to turn it into, and I don't mean any disrespect to him, but, like, if you look at Robert Parker and his Spencer 
you know, Spencer for Hire, those novels, the Spencer books, they're legendary, but at a certain point he was just grinding them, you know, just four <laughs> of them a year or whatever. He was just grinding them out, and it showed. Like his writing never went down in terms of his prose writing, but the plots and everything just became very formulaic. The characters didn't get older. They didn't – if you watch if you watch shows like the original Star Trek and stuff, they had this concept called the, uh, the status quo ante where you – a guy would get shot and run over by a, a truck in an episode, and then in the next episode, he's fine, right? There's no yeah. – he's not wearing a bandage. He's not limping. He doesn't have trauma. They would reset everything from episode to episode, and there were very few references to anything that happened before. That storytelling is not really done anymore. Everything's continuity now. There's all this kind of stuff about canon and continuity. But the truth of the matter is that even though, you know, like you have your choice – when you're doing a series, do you, do you want the guy to grow and change your, your main characters? Do you want them to change over time or do you want them to basically be the same people each time? And I'm not saying one is better than the other because some audiences want everything to be the same. You know, they want Sherlock Holmes to kind of like be Sherlock Holmes in every book. But if you've read all the Sherlock Holmes stories, you know, there, there is change over time. And I kind of wanted my guys to change over time. I wanted them to be marked by their experiences, some people to get whacked, some people to you know, change their minds, change their, their character gets changed because of the things they go through. So for me, it was important to have stories that fit into that and not just have the guy constantly like, oh, he's in another life and death situation and he walks away from it. If, he, if he's, you know, in this third book that's coming up, he's going to be visibly, you know, physically scarred from what happened in the second book and emotionally scarred. So I had to, I had to figure out a plot that would work for him to be this damaged individual going forward. So I'm, I am excited to write it when I get around to it. It's just, I have, as you know, I have an overcrowded brain. That's not saying I'm intelligent. Everyone who knows me knows I'm a dumbass, but my creative intelligence just is constantly spewing volcano-like. And so it's, I, it, for me, it's always a struggle of what, the, what am I going to do next? What's the next, because I have all these ideas, and then I have to try to pick one. So, and also, your your time is very uh, busy right now with that ALF reboot you're doing. Uh, so, uh, why do you find a way to work that into every con? It's, like right. my, uh, it's like a nightmare. <laughs> so, all right. Let's, so uh, let's get to Highlander 2. So I know Tuffy's very excited about this. All right, Tuffy? You still with us, Tuffy? Yeah. You guys can keep yeah. talking uh, MMA. I'm just over here watching NASCAR still. Uh, <laughs> Miles. Do you watch NASCAR? Tuffy's a big NASCAR fan. I don't. I don't. It was huge in York uh, before. I don't. I haven't seen. I used to see NASCAR flags on people's lawns and like those numbers on everybody's car and truck. But I think the culture has changed a little bit around here because I don't see as much of it anymore. Yeah, Tuffy's a big NASCAR guy. Hey, did you watch the Super Bowl, Miles? Were you rooting for the Rams as a former LA resident? Uh, um, to be honest, and I, I know I'm a traitor to L.A., I was actually kind of rooting for Cincinnati. Um, I didn't want either team to lose, to be honest. I have nothing against the Rams. L.A. is a big sports town, but it's also a big front-running sports town. Um, there is no intrinsic loyalty. Like, everybody's like, oh, I love the Lakers so much. The only team in L.A. that's really truly loved is the Dodgers. The Lakers are loved when they're winning. Nobody gives a shit about the Clippers. 
Uh, I respect the Clippers fans because they're so, like, long-suffering, you know. Um, the Kings, nobody cares about the Kings unless they're about to go to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they won so, two cups. Yeah, pretty good. and that's the only time anybody watches. And I, and I don't say that to, to dog hockey. I say that to dog the bandwagon fans who show up, scream yeah. their heads off, put on jerseys, and then as soon as they realize the team's not doing well next year, the jersey goes into goodwill and you don't see it again. Uh, the, only, the only honestly rabid, I, I think, fan base in L.A. that's loyal all year round, whether the team sucks or not, is the Dodgers. Every other team is like a front-running experience, and that includes the Lakers. I don't care what anybody from L.A. says. <laughs> Nobody cares about the Lakers when they suck because L.A. people are very Hollywood in their, in their hearts. And in Hollywood, it's, it's all about you're a winner. And if you're not a winner, nobody wants to know you. So rooting for the Rams is almost kind of pointless from my point of view because next year the Rams won't be as good and nobody will root for them, you know. And so it's – whereas, you know, Cincinnati is this working-class American town, doesn't have a lot of success sports-wise <laughs> – at least I don't think so. No. Uh, yeah. So I just kind of felt like it would have been nice if Cincinnati had won, but it went the way it went. Some people said the refs kind of gifted L.A., but. Well, the refs also gifted uh, Cincinnati their only real touchdown when a guy grabbed him by the face mask and threw him to the ground. I, and did, that's see that play. I did watch the whole game, and I did see that play, and, and you're absolutely right. That was a blatant face mask, and it wasn't called. So that's the only way you, they scored a you, touchdown in the whole. And that's yeah. like, uh, you know, that kind of fucked me over in the betting department because uh, I had the Rams minus four, so otherwise I would have been all right. Tuffy's our gambling champion. Like, now. Oh, he had the Bengals. You're, plus the you're four. betting on sporting so, events, cheapening their, oh, their, <laughs> Miles, their value? Miles, we have a regular bit here on the show where I give you my lock of the week. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, we could do it now if you want, but maybe we'll do it later. But uh, I tend to bet last week it was, uh, what was it? Tuffy, um, hand, German, German handball. handball. Yeah, I have a German handball, a four-team parlay. Uh, it did not hit, sadly. It did not hit. I went three for four on the four-team uh, German handball parlay. Tonight, spoiler alert, I think we're going to go with uh, Danish basketball. That's what we're betting tonight. So. Wow. I, I, yeah, I, don't know what, I don't know what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> Turkish volleyball. Literally. I don't know what to uh, we, say. We've bet rugby and uh, cricket. And you have knowledge of these sports, I take it. These I have no knowledge of these knowledge. sports. Not a goddamn <laughs> thing. I don't know anything about these sports. But I you don't know anything about Turkish volleyball? I'm shocked. <laughs> I know. It's shocking, but I just don't. But uh, I, I've been doing pretty good, actually. But, you know, I've lost uh, last week. And uh, I think overall I'm about 5-3, and three, maybe. And, uh, that's not bad. Yeah, not knowing what the fuck you're doing. It's not bad. All right, uh, let's talk Highlander 2. Now, when, when yeah. this came out, it came out in 1991. Now, on this show, we like to give some context for, for these films, and we like to look at the uh, top grossing movies of that year. So, Miles Watson, since you're the guest, we'll give you the uh, first guess at this. Do you remember the top grossing movie of 1991? Oh, God, no. Not even a little bit, to be honest. Coffee, would you care to guess? Uh, I think that's a year or two too early for Terminator 2. No, that's exactly what it is. Terminator 2, Judgment. Oh, oh good. Yeah. yeah. 
That was that was good. Yeah, I wouldn't have. Uh, I'm crappy with that kind of thing, like dates. Yeah, I'm shitty with that. It grossed two hundred one million dollars. In second place was Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, one hundred sixty five mm-hmm. million. Uh, we also had Silence of the Lambs. That was also ninety one. Did uh, Miles? Did you ever see Silence of the Lambs? Uh, I heard all these things about it, and I watched it like 20 years ago or so. I was like, oh, I'm sure it's going to be this great movie. That fucking sucked. I thought Jodie Foster, what? like her accent was so ridiculous. Mike Bell. I was like, what is this? I thought it was terrible. Sometimes I feel like you just decide to hate a thing because <laughs> everyone else likes it. Did you ever, like Jodie Foster's accent in that movie is so ridiculous. Did you ever? You know what I'm talking about, right? Are, are you asking me? Yeah, I'm asking you. Go watch your Danish basketball. <laughs> I, I mean, keeping in mind that you like Alf, so everything yeah. you say in any subject is suspect. Keeping that in mind, I will say that um, I am a huge fan, as you probably know, of Thomas Harris, who wrote Red Dragon, who wrote Black uh, Black Sunday, he wrote Silence of the Lambs. All the Lecter books, the the those books he he wrote, and I think some of his novels are the best novels I've ever read. Like when he was on, he wrote some of the the novel the best novels I've ever read. Having said that, when I saw Silence of the Lambs, I wasn't very impressed, relatively speaking, and the reason why was because the film is only, in my estimation, is only kind of like a small sampling of what the book achieved I feel like it just didn't get it didn't hit the the depths that of of you know intellectual depths emotional depths literary depths that the the film you know the film is a film it's a visual story so I just didn't think it did as good of a job I think a lot of people were kind of blown away mostly by Anthony Hopkins you know him playing that creepy weirdo yeah kind of you know, talking about eating people's livers and shit. Um, did I, do I think the film is overrated? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Do I think it does have, do I think that it has still many, you know, kind of iconic moments of horror, like it puts the lotion in the basket and all that shit? <laughs> yes, I, I do think it does, it does yield some, some pretty iconic horror moments. Um, it, it's, uh, it's not my favorite movie, but I have a different, I almost have to disqualify myself from talking about it because I'm one of those guys, you know, there's always those annoying motherfuckers that are like, the book was better. Well, <laughs> yeah. In that case, I am that fucking idiot that you want to tell to shut up who's like, the book was better because I just didn't. I, I read that book four or five or ten times or something before I, I, uh, I had seen the movie. So the movie to me was actually a little bit of a disappointment. Um, and I never really got over that disappointment. Had I never seen, had I never read the book, I might have had a very different, uh, very different, a different attitude towards the film. So I kind of feel like I DQ myself. From well, I never read the book, and I thought the movie sucked. So there you go. Oh, All right. Well, okay. Uh, number there four. Mike, you City. think Breaking Bad sucks? So let's not, uh, <laughs> you know. Breaking Bad does suck. Uh, City Slickers at number four. That was something. That was quite the. Uh, pop culture thing there city slickers remember all that yeah. with jack palance doing push-ups at the officers oh, yeah. and all that other bullshit yeah. uh the adams family at number five home alone number six home alone 
Uh, that came out in November of 1990, so it even it still finished sixth in 1991. So that shows you how popular that fucking movie was. Uh, number seven, Dances with Wolves. You don't like Home Alone either? Uh, I never saw it. Never saw it. Okay. Really? Yeah, there's a Home lot Alone of movies I've never is... seen. Yeah. yeah, I know that. The number, the amount of movies you've never seen is actually kind of sickening. Uh, well, I've seen a ton of movies. To like Most of the movies I've seen are from like the 40s, 50s, and 60s, and like like more modern, popular movies. Eh, sometimes I skip them. You know, what can I? Say? That's fine, but I I think you can do both. I have a I have a 50 film DVD collection called Fabulous 40s, and I grind out a couple of those like yeah. every month. And yeah. uh, some of them are fantastic. Some of them are dog yeah. shit. It's uh, you know. <laughs> oh, there you. Yeah, uh, yeah. Home Alone, uh, Dances with Wolves is seventh. I never watched that. Sleeping with the Enemy, I think that's Julia Roberts, right? She was uh, number eight. Hook, Robin Williams, old movie about uh, I don't know kids being molested. I believe is Hook number nine. Uh, Ten, The Naked Calm Gun. Calm down, Mike Dell. <laughs> uh, hey, Kate Fear is twelve. Remember Kate Fear uh, when uh, old uh, what's his face De Niro. Uh, yeah, that was pretty good. wasn't as good as the original, but it wasn't bad. Who was who the original, Miles? Remember uh, Cape Fear, the original? Robert Mitchum. That's right, Robert Mitchum. About the Gregory Peck. Right, and then Gregory Peck also. Um, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a 13 backdraft. Hey, 1991, what about Bob? Huh. Boys in the Hood? Oh, what about Bob? My God, I forgot about that. Um, JFK came out December 20th, 1991, so it barely was uh, on, you know, eligible, but still made a good bit of money. And then we get all the way down to, let's see, what number? <laughs> they they list about 100 movies or so. And if we get uh, down to, where the fuck is it now? Uh, checking in at number 90, one spot after Child's Play 3. And one spot ahead of Ernest Scared <laughs> Stupid is Highlander 2, The Quickening. $14 million gross on a $34 million budget. So that's what we're dealing with. Highlander 2. And, uh, hey, you guys remember Roger Ebert, that guy? He uh, he called this yeah. the worst movie of 1991. Yeah, he had some... Harsh, harsh things to say about it. He said that if there was a civilization that based its culture on bad movies, it would have a special place for Highlander. <laughs> now, in, in fairness, uh, Miles, I guess did you watch the film again before the show here, Miles? I did actually. And did you watch that link I gave you, the the uh, Renegade version of the film? I did watch the Renegade version because I had previously seen. The um, the theatrical release, which was, you know, that was a tough, that's a tough watch. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's tough to get through. <laughs> yeah, I didn't realize the difference until after I started watching that I, I read about it. So apparently, uh, Tuffy, do you remember what the Highlander was? Can you give us a recap of the basic premise of the Highlander? Do you remember? Uh, the Scottish guy... Um, can't die or something, and he's fighting <laughs> some other big guy, and then uh, Sean Connery shows up and kind of trains him, and he marries his wife, and then she dies of old age, and um, 
<laughs> he ends up in New York as like an antiquities dealer. That's right, as an antiquities dealer, yeah. And then uh, whenever he kills one of these other Highlanders, he gets some, like, burst of energy. The quickening. Yeah, the quickening. And the only way you kill a Highlander is by cutting their head off. you got to, like, hack their head off. Yeah. And there can only be one. And he was he was eventually the only one. But, Miles, um, like, that's a pretty good concept for a story, right? Like, uh, these immortal beings, and you got to cut each other's heads off, and there can only be one? That's pretty good. I... I love actually the the concept of Highlander, and if I can cut in here for a second, I cannot remember the guy's name, but I'm dating myself big time. But back in, it had to be like 88 or 89, I was at Syracuse University visiting my brother. I was I was in high school. I was like a sophomore or a junior or something in high school. Maybe it was a senior. I don't remember. Um, I went and there was a lecture by one of the guys who was a producer of the film Highlander. And I, I okay. don't remember his name, but I can describe him exactly because he kind of looked like Weird Al Yankovic. Like he had red <laughs> hair and he was kind of like a Hollywood guy. Like he was very charismatic and articulate, but he was also kind of pompous and like into himself. You know, he gave, he was a good speech maker and everything. But again, you know, he was one of those guys that was like, um, you were kind of impressed by him, but also thought he was a little bit of a douche at the same time. Anyway, he told me the entire, he told us the entire story of how that movie got made, you know, the original script and how that went through all these changes and everything. And so it became the, it was originally called shadow clan and ended up becoming Highlander and how it went through various conceptual changes and became the movie that it became. Um, so I, I met that guy, and I, I, I don't know if I, I knew – I had seen the movie, the original movie, and I had liked it a lot as, a, as like, a 14-year-old. And I still like it. I mean, it's deeply flawed, but it's a fun, yeah. Yeah, crazy it's fun. action movie. It's fun. Yeah, we like, enjoyed it. Anyone who watches that movie who says that they didn't have a good time is fucking lying to you, in my opinion, because <laughs> it's ridiculous, but it's fun, and you just got to go with it and be like, this was fun. It's a rock video. It's not really meant to be, you know, this deep. Shakespearean experience it's supposed to be fun, and so the the first film, you know, it came and that was the concept was you had these immortal beings and when you kill, they can only die by being beheaded, otherwise they're immortal. And when you kill one, there's a quickening, and you get his all of his power. There's this big explosion of energy, and you absorb all this person's power, and they fight until there's none left but the one guy, you know, who wins the prize and all that. It was very simple concept like very straightforward concept um and i i i was i liked that and then they came along with highlander too and decided to um <laughs> yeah they just got rid of all that <laughs> they just said you know what we're gonna get rid-. but here's the thing the version we watched the renegade version was recut by the director uh what was, what was his name uh fuck i don't know mokehi or something like that and uh, mokehi yeah, Russell Mulcahy, that's right. Because the, uh, the second movie was filmed in Argentina, and when, when they went down there, Argentina's economy collapsed, and they were, like, surrounded by a bunch of uh, corrupt politicians and shit, and they're financing, like, their, the, their budget, like, it was originally budgeted for $14 million, but it didn't, it took them $34 million to make it because of the inflation down there in Argentina and everything. So uh, when the budget started getting out of control, the people who were financing the movie took control of the movie, and so they they recut the film and they basically got rid of all the stuff 
that had to do with the original Highlander concept. And instead of being these immortal beings that were born on Earth all these generations ago, now Sean Connor and Christopher Lambert were aliens from the planet Zeist. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. they thought that would be a more popular film and they'd sell more tickets if they were aliens from another planet and Sean Connery is some mystical sorcerer. And uh, so, but the version we watched, they kind of cut that out and cobbled it together to kind of make it seem like it still followed the same mythology from the first film, but it's still pretty disjointed at times in terms of um, the old stuff. But uh, yeah, so that could be one reason why the quickening did not have so much success because they said, Hey, you know, that first movie, we changed everything about it that you liked. It has nothing to do with that anymore. And well, I guess the thing yeah. is, uh, the, oh, I was going to say, ahead. there's been like, what, five or six different uh, Highlander movies now, maybe even seven. There was a TV show. Well, there and, was, and, uh, there was, in, the, in the Highlander community of fans, I guess there is one, they just ignore the second one. They say it just didn't happen. Yeah, the second film, I am a fan of, of the series somewhat, and the second film is like the relative you have who turned out to be like a sex deviant serial killer that no one talks about at the reunions. He just <laughs> ceases to exist. Highlander 2 is just not, it's not spoken of. It's like, that never happened. That was that season of Dallas that turned out to be a dream. Nobody <laughs> talks about it. It's like, you know, J.J. Abrams movies. They're just kind of, or Ryan Johnson <laughs> films. Just, yeah, we, don't, that, yeah. we don't talk about them. They, they yeah. just, we just hope they go away. And I, I can honestly say that the, the, there's three franchises off the top of my head that I can and, and they, I call it the, the Triple H curse. Triple H, the game. Triple H, and I'm referencing Paul wrestling Beck? specifically because I knew yeah, it would nice. pique your interest. Yeah, it did. Um, there's three there's three <laughs> franchises I feel that were criminally abused: Hellraiser, Howling, and Highlander. Oh, and wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Howling <laughs> two, your yeah. my sister's a werewolf is spectacular and there are 18 moments in that film that are extraordinary they're all and they're all the same scene of <laughs> of civil danning ripping her top off and there's a reason exactly. why i i recommended that movie to you That's i right. want full credit full <laughs> well, yeah we forgot credit. that you recommended that originally because uh, i don't know if you heard miles but uh, on flea market fantasy jank and i we reviewed a black diamond a comic book based on civil danning and we talked a whole oh. lot of Sybil Danning. Yeah. No, I didn't. So, but uh, I, I had the uh, pleasure of growing up with a number of Sybil Danning movies, um, <laughs> which affected you, me and advanced but, my But you introduced us to Sybil Danning initially because you made us watch Battle Beyond the Stars. Where, uh, yeah. Sybil Danning, yeah I, uh, I know. Hey, Mike Bell, I was doing Easter eggs before there were Easter eggs. I was like, <laughs> oh, she had watch some Easter this eggs unbearable in piece of shit you. film, but you'll get to yeah. watch, you'll get to see Sybil Danning. Yeah, she was great in that one. Holy fuck. But, yeah, I, I, I don't appreciate you besmirching Howling, but all right. Go ahead. Well, have you ever Get seen off. the Howling 3, 4, 5, 6? No. No. And you never will because they're some of the most unwatchable <laughs> piece of shit films that have I'm ever guessing been made. She's not in anymore, right, after that director? She is not in anymore. Yeah. I, would have, I would have already suggested that we, that we have a, a session of, of watching her get naked for no reason. But <laughs> yes. those, three, those three franchises, I think, were some of the better. Like, all three of them started with, whether you like the film or not, I think they're, they're very strong candidates for, like, fun or interesting memorable, whatever you want to call it. 
Hellraiser is a great horror film. Howling's a great horror film. Highlander, I think, is a great, you know, mindless action film that's, that's just fun. Like, if you just abandon it and abandon your kind of common sense and just say, fuck it, I'm in, <laughs> it's a great, fun film. And Clancy Brown does this great, you know, thing and is a villain. And Connery has a lot of fun with the week he spent on set. <laughs> Doing that role for for a billion dollars, and uh, but the subsequent movies are just absolutely fucking trash. And the funny thing is, is that Highlander three is is a bad movie. It's just basically a bad remake of Highlander one. And then they did Highlander like Endgame, which which is awful. I mean, it's worse than Highlander two in some ways. Really? If you want to go there, yeah, it's it's awful. And then. Then they did a film called Highlander, The Source, which is so bad <laughs> that Adrian Paul, because they, the, they switched over to Adrian Paul, who's the guy who plays Duncan McLeod in the television series. So it's a different, different immortal McLeod. Um, he basically has disowned that movie every possible way that he can. He's wow. like, the, basically, in his mind, he's like, kind of everyone involved, imagine if they died. And then we just made the movie anyway. You know, it, it's that bad. Like, it's fucking atrocious. So, yeah. So I, I feel like those those are classic examples of franchises that just either shouldn't have been franchises or they were just criminally mismanaged. And this film is a strong argument for that. I also read something that uh, the other Highlander movies, they had some uh, special appearances, uh, guest starring roles for uh, Roddy Piper. Do you remember Piper being in one of them? Roddy Piper is in Highlander the series, which I'm a big fan of, oh, with Adrian series, Paul, okay. and he makes a great villain. Yeah, Piper's awesome. Great villain. Yeah, he he's actually one of the best villains that they that show ran for six seasons, and he's one of the best villains on it by far. He's what? he's really good, like because he's so physical. You know, like when he does the sword fights, he doesn't fuck around. Like you believe that he will cut your head off. <laughs> and I also read that Sheena Easton was on the was it the TV show or was she in one of the movies? Yeah, no, Sheena Easton, Vanity, um, Ooh, Vanity, Joan Jett. Hey, uh, what the hell? Yeah, they, they had it. They had a bunch. Oh, and um, there was a recurring character. Was uh, a recurring immortal was who? Who's the lead singer of the Who? His, his name is blanking out of my mind. Robert, Robert, Daltrey. Robert Daltrey. Yeah, yeah, he was really good, actually. Hmm. How about that? I had no idea. All right, so uh, for Highlander two, though. Uh, we, we get Christopher Lambert again playing McLeod, the old Highlander. Sean Connery's back. Uh, the the uh, love interest, the the only lady here is Virginia Madsen. And then the villain is named Katana. He's played by Michael Ironside. Now, people were very excited when I said we were watching this movie. A couple people mentioned to me, oh, Michael Ironside. I didn't even know who the fuck he yeah. was. Uh, Miles, why don't you tell us who Michael Ironside is? Because I'm guessing you're aware Michael of this Ironside fellow. Michael Ironside is one of the most prolific bad guys in acting history. He, if, yeah. if you've seen a movie like by a major director, you know, like in Scanners, he was, you know, so he worked with, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, David Cronenberg. Um, yeah. He was in V. He played Ham Tyler, oh. you know, the V movies, both of them, and then the TV series. So he he always played that really ruthless mercenary, uh, Ham Tyler. He was in Total Recall, fighting with Arnold Schwarzenegger. If there's a cold case, like you, you look at a TV I, show, whether it's Canadian or American, he generally has played a bad guy in pretty much everything he's ever done. 
Um, I heard he's in he Top Gun plays, as well, but I've never seen yeah, Top Gun. Yeah, he's in Top so. Gun. He plays Jester. Yeah. In Top Gun, who's the, the kind of right-hand man of the commander, played by Tom Skerritt. Uh, I can't remember the Tom Skerritt's character's name off the top of my head. Viper. Um, Viper. Viper. Thank you. Thank you. I would not have remembered that. But Michael Ironside is, uh, oh, and he was in Starship Troopers as the kind of crazy mo- motivated lieutenant, you know, who. I, n- I never who, saw that either. I've seen scenes so, from Starship Troopers, some specific yeah. five-second <laughs> scenes, but I've never yeah, seen that. <laughs> but he was in that. Basically, he's played a heavy for, I don't know, 40 years, more. He's He's notorious for playing vicious, evil, psycho, you know, sadistic characters. He plays bad guys. He plays them very, very well. He's uh, very famous for yeah, playing bad guys. Yeah, as soon as I saw him, I right? recognized so, him, but I, I, I wouldn't know him by his name. Like, oh, that's Michael Ironside. All right, I'll take your word for it, but uh, I don't know. So, uh, um, We also have John C. McGinley in this movie. Mm-hmm. People know him. That was before sure, uh, he was more of a household name. Yeah, why would people know this fellow, John C. McGinley? McGinley was in Platoon, and that was – he had a big role in Platoon, and that kind of started off his career. And he was on – one of was it Scrubs? One of those Scrubs shows. Oh, yeah, Scrubs. Scrubs right. Okay. He, but he's one of those super prolific actors. He, he was in um, Office Space. He was one of the Bobs in Office yeah, Space. Oh, sure. um, he's Michael one Bolden of those guys. Fan. He's extremely prolific, and he generally <laughs> plays – he was in Wall Street. He was okay. the kind of wingman of the Charlie Sheen character, who was one of those broker guys who, you know, works with the phone and is kind of small time. But he generally plays plays this smarmy dick character really well, like, you know, kind of a fast-talking, hey, what did it say? What's going on there, uh, buddy? You know, kind of facetious, not kind of a dick. He is not a villain in the classic sense like Ironside, but he generally plays those type of characters. But he's really good at it. I mean, he's really good, actually. But he... Uh, like any prolific actor, he's been in his share of shit. Like he was in that On Deadly Ground, Steven Seagal movies. <laughs> you know, like he's he's in a fair share of crap, but he's been in a ton of TV and a ton of film. And basically, if you watch a lot of TV or film, he's one of those guys, just like Michael Ironside, that you're going to recognize right away, even if you don't know his name. Yeah, here, here's a quote from Michael Ironside about uh, his experience on the movie. He said, yeah, listen, I hated that script. We all did. Me, Sean, Chris, we all were in it for the money on this one. I mean, it read as if it was written by a 13-year-old boy, but I'd never played a barbarian swordsman before. And this was the first big evil mastermind type. I figured if I was going to do this stupid movie, I might as well have fun and go as far over the top as I possibly could. All that eye-rolling and foaming at the mouth was me deciding that I was going to be in a piece of shit like this movie. I was going to be the most memorable fucking thing in it, and I think I succeeded. And I think he did as well. He's the only really redeeming thing in this movie is Michael Ironside. And that's another reason. That rant is another reason right there to love Michael Ironside because he's not one of those people that will still sit there with a straight face and go, you need to look into the nuances and subtleties of my acting. And, you know, he'll go, God, I fucking, you know, I just had a divorce and my lawyer was really expensive and I absolutely had to do this trash fire of a film. Fuck it. Who cares? You know? He's that guy, which I love. 
Now, I'm, I'm looking through the trivia notes here on IMDb, and it says uh, Sir Sean Connery received $3.5 million for nine days of work, and then that Connery donated the money to charitable causes. <laughs> Do you believe that? <laughs> I, I believe I the know. first. I believe the second part. <laughs> but uh, uh, now keep in mind, this is 1991, so $3.5 million is a huge money back then for a actor, you know? That was enormous. Not for him, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nowadays, not so much. But uh, all right, I'm looking at any other big trivia notes here. I guess the sword fight scenes. Uh, Christopher Lambert insisted on using real swords when he and uh, Michael Ironside were fighting, and and uh, Michael Ironside actually uh, cut off part of his finger, like cut his finger to the bone. Uh, Christopher Lambert's finger, that is. And then Christopher Lambert dislocated Michael Ironside's jaw with the sword, and they said, "Oh, you know what?" Let's not use real swords. So they started using plastic swords. That's probably a good idea. Well, there's also the fact that Christopher Lambert is basically legally blind. Yes, they so have to make a note of he that. He has well. to wear massive glasses. And of course when he's when he's in Highlander mode, he's not wearing glasses. So imagine yes. this. You're Michael Ironside. You've got to do a fight scene with Christopher Lambert who wants to use real swords. And he's legally blind. <laughs> yes. Ironside mm. said the swords weighed like 22 pounds. These broadswords that are swinging around. And he's like, it's solid and he's like, he said there's no way he could like, you know, be all accurate with the parrying and the thrusting and whatnot when you're a 22-pound well, sword. Is what, what is a broadsword? A broadsword isn't meant for, fe- you know, that, that kind of yeah. Errol Flynn style of sparring where you do the your head off. You know, yeah. like the, the the sword that McLeod uses is a katana. They're lightweight. They're really beautiful. They're fat. They're for fast fighting. A broadsword is that European style, which is meant to hack your opponent to death. It's basically <laughs> a giant, vicious, bludgeoning weapon that was meant yeah. to hit people who were wearing 75 or 175 pounds of solid plate steel armor. You know, it was it was this massive weapon, and it's not meant for sword fighting. It's meant for beating your opponent to, into a bloody pile of chum. So, yeah. He, 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 if he'd really tried to sword fight somebody with that thing, he would have been killed in about two seconds flat because it's too heavy <laughs> to wield. Yeah. Now, you mentioned uh, Virginia Madsen's the lady here. What do we know Virginia Madsen from, Miles? I'm sure you uh, have. Wait, was she in Raging Bull? No. No, she wasn't in Raging Bull. Who was the uh, lady in Raging Bull? I can't remember off the top of my head. It's not Faye Dunaway. It's uh, yeah. I can't remember. Um, All right. Virginia Madsen was in Dune. She was in um, Can- uh, Candyman. She was in The Rainmaker. Class. She was in Slam Dance. She- Class. Yeah, she was in. Oh. She's she's been in a lot of stuff. She is. She is one of those actors who kind of was on the cusp of stardom a number of times in her career. She got a lot of work. She worked with big names. She's never lacked for work, but she never became a big star on her own. You know what I mean? Like, she, she never hit that, that I'm a star thing. Like, she didn't get there. Um, and that's, I'm not knocking her. It's just kind of an objective statement on her career. Like, she starred in movies. She was in Candyman, which is a big horror film, obviously. She was in Dune. Um, she's, she's done a lot of television. Rainmaker, I, I'm repeating myself, but basically she's 
she in the 80s, she was like one of those actors who was getting tons and tons of work and working with all the famous people and getting big roles, but a lot of the movies she was in didn't do so well. So, you know, her career kind of, it didn't get pat, past that point of just getting work and kind of high-profile work, but you don't become a star in your own right. And uh, Raging Bull was Kathy Cassie, uh, Moriarty. Kathy yeah. Moriarty was Raging Bull. Yeah, definitely yeah. not Virginia Madsen. Too blonde. M last name. Oh, that was close. What can you do? All right, uh, so there it is. A- any other? I, I saw. I recognized Jeff Altman. The comedian Jeff Altman had a minor part in this. Played a doctor that passes out. Um, any other recognizable actors in here? I don't think. Nobody that stands out. No. I mean, I'm sure that there were some, probably like minor characters. Uh, but Russell Mulcahy is a is a weird director. He directed some very strange films like Razorback, that Australian movie about a killer uh, hog. That's like <laughs> basically like an acid trip. It's like a two hour acid trip. If you watch the movie, it's really fucked up. But he also directed, I think. Well, he he was kind of a rock video director. Yeah, he, he did a you bunch know of his that. his films have that sensibility. They're very heavy on style and cinematography, but the substance is not always um always there. Yeah. Oh, well, it certainly was there with Highlander 2. So let's get into the substance. Hey, <laughs> hey Tuffy, uh, how does this movie start? Kick it off for us. We're at the opera with uh, McLeod, <laughs> and he's right. an old man. <laughs> I forgot. Yeah. Miles, how do you feel about Christopher Lambert as an old man? What an acting performance. Oh, my goodness. It's pretty amazing. fucking bad. Although his makeup isn't pretty good either. So, yeah. Like, that wasn't exactly the Salieri makeup from Amadeus they had him in. It was kind of like Halloween Town. <laughs> Make yourself up as a, as a creepy old man. Listen, Christopher Lambert isn't exactly a good actor uh, when he's, you know, playing himself at his own age. When he's trying to be an old man, it's uh, way worse. Christopher Lambert. Tuffy, were you impressed by old man Christopher Lambert? No, I was not. Uh, It was like if you ask someone to do a parody, like Johnny Knoxville would do a better job playing old McLeod. (laughs) That was about the level we're talking about. That's actually a good comparison, yeah. When Johnny Knoxville tries to be a grandpa in their little skits, that's pretty much what Christopher Lambert is doing. So, yeah, he's at the opera, and he's an old man now. Uh, because I guess uh, because he was the last of the immortals on Earth, uh, but there's this whole other backstory we got to get to, though. Holy fuck. This movie is a train well, wreck. In the, I think in the story of the original Highlander, once he had killed all the other ones and he could sort of live out his life was the idea as a mortal right or yeah yeah. as a mortal but then in this one um apparently also he's having flashbacks during this where him and sean connery tried to lead a rebellion in ancient times i think is what the renegade version says and it's an alien planet in the theatrical cut i believe yes so they and, are both immortal. Yeah, and like the evil guy there, uh, Michael Ironside, he's the guy they're rebelling against back in the ancient times. 
Yeah, so they're all immortal, and the rebellion is suppressed, and then as their punishment, they get sent to random timelines in the future, and they have to kill each other, and whoever's the last one has the choice to either live out their mortal life or go back in time to when they got sent from. Yes. Now, everyone back then, not everyone at that time wasn't immortal, right? Just some, no. a few people. Yeah. yeah, Sean Connery did some little magic thing to make the Highlander immortal. And then they also do some ceremony, Miles, uh, where they uh, dip their fingers in, like, uh, mustard, and then they hold their hands up, yeah. and there's all Glowing kind of mustard. Like, <laughs> glowing mustard. <laughs> and then they... Uh, they hold their hands together, and there's all kind of lightning bolts and whatnot, and that's called the qui- uh, that's the quickening, and they, they link their souls together. Like, you know, just go have sex already, you two. What the fuck? They're in love, <laughs> these two. Christopher Lambert and uh, yeah, Sean Connery. would not do that with his contract, I think. <laughs> but, <laughs> so, they're, so wherever they go throughout history, Sean Connery says, all you have to do is call my name, and I will uh, join you. Yeah. In the first movie, yeah. Sean Connery died. He was murdered. Yeah, and I, by the, he didn't know who Sean Connery was when he showed up in the first movie, I thought. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point, Tuffy. Yeah, I don't think they thought that through. <laughs> but uh, the Kurgan killed Sean Connery in the first one. But even though he's dead, uh, if uh, you think Lambert, if he knew all he had to do was call his name, he'd, as soon as his buddy died, he'd say, hey, come by, I'm back here. Come on back. But no, he waits until he's an old man. <laughs> like 60 years later. And then he finally eventually calls his name. But Miles, uh, old, old Michael Ironside back in time, though, he's keeping tabs on uh, Christopher Lambert, old man Lambert. And he's like, why won't this guy die already? Why This old man should just die. Because he's worried he's going to suddenly decide to come back and overthrow Michael Ironside. So what does Michael Ironside do, Miles? Michael Ironside sends some assassins, some of the most annoying, weird, <laughs> fucking bizarre assassins that yeah, have ever existed what they look on like. the face of this earth. Paint a picture birds? for the listener. Yeah. Birds? Like birds. I, I honestly yeah. don't know another way to put it. They look like birds. They have, like, goggles on, and their hair sticks out in the back, so it kind of looks like feathers. And they act very yeah. bird-like in their movements. And I'm not sure what, what the reasoning for that was. Because it's not like they're like, intimidating either. These aren't exactly physical specimens. Uh, they're kind no, of doughy they and have pudgy. a kind of like weird way of talking and interacting. They're like, wah, ha, 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 Yeah. Yeah, not exactly frightening, these two fellas. But, uh, yeah, because Lambert, he says, hey, if you go back and you kill Lambert then we don't have to worry about him coming back and taking my power away from me here back in, you know, wherever the fuck we are. So why don't you go kill him? So he sends his two buddies to go kill him. And uh, that doesn't go so well, Miles. No, the birds um, do not succeed in their mission. They are killed. And somehow them being killed leads McLeod to become young again. Because I guess they were immortals. Those two fellows were immortals. So McLeod manages to cut their heads off when he's fighting them. Uh, I think the one he, the one gets run over by a streetcar and he has his head cut off. And then the other one, 
um, McLeod like uh, pulls up a piece of string and cuts his head off. Yeah. And he gets fl- flying into an electrical power box for some reason as well because losing his head wasn't enough. He also had to go electrocute himself and explode. <laughs> and uh, but because he killed those two immortals, he absorbed their energy, I guess, and got the quickening. Oh, but before that happened, there was a scene at a bar, Tuffy. Do you remember the scene at the well, – because we got a – why is McLeod – Tuffy, why is McLeod no. very rich and famous now? We didn't explain all that. Explain that. Um, so uh, apparently I think this, the idea is that the, all the energy from his quickening when he killed the Kurgan dissolved the ozone layer. <laughs> I might have made that yeah. part up. Yeah, I think you may have. Either way, the ozone layer was disappearing. Uh, so McLeod promised his wife who was dying from cancer, I guess, or radiation, yeah, radiation poisoning, that poisoning. Yeah. he would uh, build an electromagnetic shield to protect the earth from the <laughs> sun's rays, but it also blocks now, like, out all everything, yeah. you know, in space. So you can't see the sun or stars or anything like that. Yeah. So it's like a post-apocalyptic situation. But Tuffy, you mentioned earlier that in the first movie, he was just an antiquities dealer. And now he's like yeah. a scientist. He's a genius scientist who invents an electromagnetic shield that can shade the Earth from the sun. Yeah. And it's uh, – see, the logic of an antiquities dealer makes sense because he's lived <laughs> yeah. through all of those periods of antiquity, so he would have an expertise in those items. He's yeah. not from the future, so he wouldn't know the science to build an electromagnetic <laughs> shield around the Earth. Oh, man, it's crazy. <laughs> Miles, how'd you feel about McLeod a, being a, a, a genius scientist? A little ridiculous, um, no? I'll, I'll be honest. The actual idea that, like, there's this shield, right, that's covering the stars, and then it turns out that the company, the ozone layer is already healed, but the company is still blocking the stars, and yeah, there has to be this nice resistance plot. movement to get rid of it. That actually would have been kind of a cool sci-fi action movie in and of itself, if it was completely divorced from the Highlander universe, and that's nothing <laughs> to do with it. This is a classic example of somebody coming up with a halfway cool sci-fi idea. You remember in The Simpsons when Mr. Burns tries to block out the sun? Yeah. yeah. So, so that everyone in Springfield has to pay him for electricity? That yep. is kind of a, it's like, that's actually not a bad sci-fi idea. It's kind of cool. But they they have this absurd idea that McLeod has some, somehow become the guy. He's the guy. He's the scientist. Like, his 400 years of cutting people's heads off and, <laughs> and dealing in antiques has qualified him to become a scientist who is apparently capable of engineering feats that are beyond human comprehension. And let's be honest. You look at uh, Christopher Lambert, the first thing you don't think is, oh, that's a scientist. That's, that's a genius intellect. Got <laughs> somewhere in a bag of rocks. Probably not. No, probably not. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he comes up with this electromagnetic shield. So, Tuffy, he invented this electromagnetic shield. He supposedly saved the world, but actually it resulted in the world being overtaken by a totalitarian government and all that stuff. So uh, people resent him. Well, no, not a government. It's a corporation. a corporation. All the governments oh, have to pay the corporation to keep yeah, the shield up thing. to protect them. Governments and corporations are the same thing these days. But uh, so he's in a bar, and there's a lady there, this drunk old lady. She's like, hey, are you McLeod? And he's like, yeah. 
and she's like, fuck you, you know, is that what she says? She's like, fuck you, McLeod. You ruined yeah. the world. And then uh, what does the old lady do, Tubby? Uh, she take a swing at him? I don't remember. She oh, she goes and gets a – yeah, <laughs> Miles, do you remember? I just watched her, so yeah. <laughs> my trauma is fresh. Yeah, go ahead. Explain what happened. So she cuts him just a small cut on his hand. Well, she she hits him with a wine bottle over the head. Yeah, well, <laughs> but, but his hand is uh, – for whatever reason, his hand is what gets cut. Yeah, his head Don't is fine. Don't ask me why – yeah, it's uh, so his hand is cut, and as he looks down at his hand, he realizes that his cut is healing super fast. And McLeod is, you know, he's dying of old age. So he doesn't understand why he's healing because he realizes if he's healing super fast that he's becoming immortal again, which doesn't really make sense because if he's becoming immortal again, he should be getting younger too. I would yeah. think, right? But again, looking for logic in this film, not real. You're not really going to find anything. So, but but the reason he's becoming immortal again is because he's no longer the last one. There's a, there's two other immortals exactly. coming to hunt and exactly. kill him. Exactly. So he's the like, oh shit, there's more immortals. Yeah, the two yeah, bird the guys. birdmen have have arrived, and the birdmen want to kill him. And there is annoying. Uh, they're so fucking annoying. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> there's one scene during the fight with the Birdman where there's like some bomb in a phone booth and he asks, hey, he asks the one Birdman flying up above him, he's like, hey, do you got a light, buddy? And the Birdman <laughs> just shoots him with a grenade and blows him up. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> all right, so all this is going on. Virginia Madsen's also a terrorist. She's trying to bring down, well, she's she's like labeled a terrorist, but she's trying to bring down the evil corporation. And to like take down that shield so people can you know see the stars and the sun again and whatnot, and uh, she goes to look for Christopher Lambert for help, and they meet in the street there and uh, they're chatting it up. And then the bird guys try and kill him, and they have the big fight, and he kills the bird guys. And then he come he becomes young after he kills the bird guys. So then he goes over to Virginia Madsen and she says, "Hey, you're young," and he's like, "Yeah, I am. Let's let's fuck in this alley." And he just throws her up against the brick wall and gives it to her. <laughs> Well, now that he's young, he doesn't want to waste any time. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, my dick works again. Let's go. Dude, dude, puts if you up against the wall. Don't think I wouldn't immediately be banging some girl in a fucking uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like they barely talked. You know, like they don't even know each other. But this Christopher that, Lambert that, he is, is so grossly so, uh, inappropriate, even for an R-rated movie. It's like <laughs> she just sees him and he's like, "Oh, he's young. I'll fuck him." You know? <laughs> yeah. Here we go. <laughs> Right up against a wall in a dirty, dingy alley. And what I want to know is why that doesn't happen to me anymore. But (laughs) anyway, anymore, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But so so they make the sweet, sweet love in an alley, and then he takes her back to his big palatial uh, penthouse apartment or house or wherever because he's rich because he he's the guy that ruined the world with that electromagnetic shield. So he's got all kind of money, and. uh, and he's trying to tell her, explain to her what happened, how he was an old man, and then he's young. And he's like, hey, I'm a Highlander, and you know, and she just, yeah, she's like cool with everything. She's like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, this all makes awesome sense. And Actually, uh, there is a long scene where she interrogates him as to like, but you're not immortal if you do this, but if you go back there, you're immortal. And then these guys are coming here, and da da da. And he goes, 
yeah, something like that. And I'm like, wow, they're actually going meta in this film. And <laughs> they're trying to explain it to the room of viewers. <laughs> yeah, they're they're admitting to the audience that, that she's speaking for the audience, basically saying this movie makes absolutely no fucking sense. And he's drinking whiskey, as the Scotsman should, basically saying, Lassie, you're absolutely right. <laughs> it doesn't By the way, make no sense, Lassie. We didn't mention yet, but this film is set in the year 2024. I actually oh. remembered that today as I was watching stuff, and I thought, how perfect that the initial part of the film is like 1990, you know, something, whatever, when all this shit goes down, and then they cut to the future, and McLeod's an old man, and it's 2024, and I'm like, wow, it's, hey. It's like today. It's now. Yeah. <laughs> right now. Man. We need some Highlanders to help us out because <laughs> it's not going to be long before there's a, a shield over the world too. <laughs> we got to uh, bring it down. I'll tell you this: if those bums ever erect a shield over the world, I'll take it down for you guys. Don't worry. Thank I might you. tell you wouldn't know because you don't go outside to see. That's it. true. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> there could be one right now. I have no fucking idea. <laughs> but if I hear tell of it, I'm going to be very upset. All right, so uh, Tuffy. We got uh, young Christopher Lambert. He just gave it to Virginia Madsen and their uh, their chums and everything. Uh, what what happens there? Do you remember what happens after that? Uh, no. Yeah, neither do I. Let's go to Miles. He just watched it. Miles, <laughs> what happened after that? <laughs> uh, some shit. I mean, like yeah. basically. Okay, so I, I Virginia Madsen before the show, and I don't remember. <laughs> Yeah, because the reason you don't remember is not because you don't remember, but because you don't understand, because the entire movie is an incomprehensible fucking mess. So basically, and, and remember that there's multiple versions of this piece of shit. So, like, it's like, imagine, do you ever have a recurring dream that sucks? <laughs> yeah, it's that's movie, this yeah. film. It, it's like there's different versions of the same bad dream. So oh, basically, oh, but I know, I know what we forgot, though. During the bird fight, he actually called to Sean Connery. He called his name. Oh, right. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, okay. I, I can't remember so, his name. It's like some long Spanish name. But uh, it, Ramirez basically is the short yeah. version of his name. It's like yeah. For some reason, the French guy, guy is Scottish, Scottish and the Scottish guy is Spanish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that, so, is, that was weird casting, Tuffy. Yeah, that's a good point. Oh, but actually, in the original Highlander, he's he was he's Egyptian. So he was an Egyptian yeah. posing yeah. as a Spaniard, but played by a Scotsman, acting with a Frenchman who was posing as a Scotsman playing an American. Makes perfect so, sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes perfect sense. But um, so the the, the well, Sean Connery shows up in the middle of the Even though Sean Connery had his head cut off in the previous movie, which is a fairly decisive way to die. Yeah. They they throw out at the beginning of this film that because they're magically bonded by the magic mustard that they dip their fingers in <laughs> that Mike Dell referenced earlier, that it must be some special mustard from like I don't know McDonald's that that we it came out in limited edition. They all he has to do is basically say his name, say the name of Ramirez, and Ramirez will appear. So he says Ramirez's name, and Ramirez, aka Sean Connery, appears in Scotland of all places. Uh, yeah. You know, modern day Scotland. He is able to. He he adjusts. It was actually one of the few intelligent touches this film has is they bring back him. What during a performance of Shakespeare, he lands on a yes. stage in Scotland yeah. where the Highlander is actually from, 
And so he's like, he, he actually doesn't feel too out of place because he's like, oh, I get it. It's Shakespeare. So he uses the big pearl in his earring to buy a suit and a plane ticket. Apparently you don't need a passport. And he then flies to join McLeod, wherever the fuck McLeod is. It's New York, isn't it? I guess Texas yeah. is where it's supposed to be. And then he goes out to fly uh, to New York to meet up with McLeod and Virginia Madsen. And then they decide to go attack or infiltrate whatever the uh, the corporation that runs the shield. Do they ever the shield the corporation? Oh, yeah, shield corporation. I think it's the shield corporation. <laughs> I think yeah. it is, too, because when they said that, it was like, oh, like Nick Fury, agent of shield. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they, they have to go try and bring down that shield. And that's it. That's the movie. All right. <laughs> Does anything else happen? <laughs> well, Michael Ironside, uh, he's watching oh, yeah. his TV back home that shows uh, mm-hmm. the Highlander and says, all right, I guess I got to go do it myself when his two goons get killed. Uh, so he yeah. goes and um, just pops into this... the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation's board meeting. No, no, no. First he pops into his subway train, and this is the best move well, scene of the movie. He meets the Highlander at a church, and they say they can't fight on holy ground for some no, reason. No, no, no. But, no first he, he pops into a subway train oh. when he first gets there. Because <laughs> yeah. this is the best scene in the entire fucking movie. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he like he just appears like he comes to the top of a subway train and he's like where the fuck am I and everyone's looking at him like he's weird and he and he sees a little kid he he just beats the hell out of a guy first of all he just murders a guy with his bare hands and then he, he gets a little kid and he says oh hey a little one you probably would want to drive one of these I right, am me too so he goes up to the front of the subway car and he starts driving it and he takes it up to seven hundred miles an hour. <laughs> And everyone in the back of the tra- the train is flying around like in zero gravity, bashing into the walls and shit, and their faces are exploding. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, Miles, this is pretty good, right? Yeah, it it made no sense. It doesn't. It has nothing to do with the story. It doesn't fulfill any purpose other than the fact that he's evil. So they're like, yeah, I guess they great. needed uh, they needed to show him slaughtering regular innocent folk <laughs> because why not? Like this is how else are we going to know he's evil if he doesn't just fucking kill a whole subway car full of people just by driving? I mean, back. it has nothing to do with the storyline at all. <laughs> my my favorite part though is he's got this train up to like six seventy seven hundred miles an hour or whatever, and it's going so fast, and then he slams it through a wall. And it's like barely peeks out through the wall. <laughs> like the train's in perfect condition. It doesn't smash or anything. It explode. Uh, he just walks right through. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here. So, yeah, that's that's how he gets to Earth. And uh, then, Tuffy, he goes to meet with Highlander in a church, right? I think. Yeah, but they can't fight there because they're not allowed to fight on holy ground, I yeah. guess. Yeah, I don't remember that's if that came said. up in the first one or not. Yeah, it did come up because they met in a church in the first movie. I remember that, but they couldn't yeah, fight. Yeah, one of the one church. of the consistent things through the Highlander mythology, and this is the TV series and everything else, is that the the immortals are not allowed to fight on holy ground. That's like their refuge or their like neutral spot where they can like if they have to parlay with each other or whatever, you can go to a church or something, and you're not allowed to fight there. Which I actually like. It makes sense because it's just like these guys are always cutting each other's heads off. So it's kind of like they would 
probably have a Switzerland in their yeah. in their universe. It makes it makes sense for me. <clears throat> Just live in a church. Well, and also, well, yeah, actually, in this series, they talk about immortals who are just like, fuck it, I'm going to live forever on holy ground, and they do, and they're just out ah. of it. They're like, nope, there you go. <laughs> no thank you, not not interested. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they, they talk in the church, and uh, but he just says, hey, I'm going to I'm going to come kill you, right? He's like, hey, you, Christopher Lambert, I'm going to kill you. Is that what he says? Yeah. <laughs> I guess. More or less. I guess, yeah. And Christopher Lambert is like, hey, hey, I don't want to die. I don't know. Is that what he says? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just writing the script as we go. Um, so what's the next big scene, Miles? Well, once they, they, they decide to crash the gate of S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation, because they're immortal, they don't have to worry about getting shot to death. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. They throw Virginia Madsen in the trunk, and then they, they bash through the gate in their car. And, of course, Sean Connery and – uh, Christopher Lambert are riddled with bullets and die, seemingly die. And somehow the thousands of bullets fired into their yes. car don't hit Virginia Madsen <laughs> in the trunk. And she's like, the, the guards thing. are like, oh, you're kind of cute, blonde, so we just let you out of the trunk. And she, I guess, the, the once they revive from being dead, because they're immortal, they can't kill them with bullets, they, they get stuck in a trap trying to infiltrate the shield because probably Sean Connery's three days on set were up, so they're like, fuck it, he's got to die again. <laughs> so he gets his head cut off by a trap and utters a line that my friend Matt Greaves has been making fun of for... Um, Matt and his brother Dave have been making fun of this movie ever since they saw it. They saw it in the theater. And so we're talking about like 30 fucking years at this point. And they're like, there's got to be a secret panel around here somewhere. And it's like, why? You're you're in a death trap that was specifically set up to kill intruders. Why would there be a secret panel that would allow the intruder to turn off the fucking trap? Why? It's just code. why would that it's be code? You have to follow the That's code. That's like, you know, yeah, exactly. It's like the Death Star. Let's let's spend 18 years building this immensity that that bankrupts the empire, the entire galaxy. Millions of troops and construction clones are used on this thing to build this giant fucking ultimate weapon and they're like oh but there's this tiny flaw that if you if you fire a torpedo down this tube it's just going to blow the fuck up and that's it <laughs> well yeah they're they're they they find the secret panel after after ramirez gets his head cut off again but, but you have to describe the trap here because this is really uh nonsense oh, they get stuck in like this silo kind of shaped <laughs> room and there's a big metal fan at the top spinning yeah. and it's lowering down Yes, and because, and because it's like, poison gas or, you know, whatever, just pouring gasoline on people and setting it on fire. Some very practical way of killing intruders, like a automated machine gun or just filling yeah. the, the chamber with poisonous gas or flammable liquid or flammable aerosol and then setting it on fire. Something very simple. Like, didn't the, didn't the ancient Egyptians have, like, you know, like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the Mayans or whatever – they have like the he steps on a rock and like fucking blow darts come at him. <laughs> but I, I think uh, they were planning ahead and they knew they had to kill some immortals, so they needed a big right. fan to cut off their heads. You know, Shield Corporation and, uh, decides to build a fan the size of a fucking <laughs> what a grain silo. Yeah. <laughs> but when it lowers down, Connery says, "All right, you kids get out of here. I'll take care of this. You, you crouch down there." And he he plants a sword in the ground, and then he like gives this speech about life. 
and how you know some men don't actually live and they just let their lives dribble away drip by drip. But but if if you take a yeah, moment, yeah, that's me. <laughs> toughie, if you take a moment and you seize it all, I don't, I can't do it, Sean. <laughs> and, and then he, uh, but he somehow channels his energy to like stop the fan from lowering. And I'm like, oh, well, he saved their lives. And he starts pushing it back up to the ceiling, and he stands up. I'm like, oh, look, he saved everybody's life. How about that, Sean Connery? And then he's like, hey, get out of that secret passage there, that escape hatch. And they open the door, and they walk out. And then he says, all right, but i got to go now. And he just lets it drop on his head and kill himself. Why don't you just run out the door there, Sean Connery, you know, with because your magic? Because, again, his, his three days on yeah. set were up, and they just <laughs> needed him to die. So instead of, like, a heroic sacrifice of, like, I'm going to hold the door – well, you guys get out and I'm going to die, which would have been, you know, touching, emotional. He's just like, fuck it, I'm going to kill myself because this script sucks so bad I can't wait to be out of this movie. <laughs> yeah, they went yeah, for the, uh, the Pootsie approach from The Simpsons. I have to go now. My planet needs me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. But yeah, it just made no fucking sense. Um, so, but, but now, even though he died again, if Christopher Lambert like, just walked out in the hallway and said his name, would he have come back again? Once you open up the whole, well, death doesn't really matter because I, I have a magic fucking MacGuffin to get you back. It does, it's like your sacrifice is meaningless. The whole thing about the first film is, you know, when, when Ramirez dies, you're kind of yeah. a big deal. Up because, first of all, he's the mentor. He's likable. He's a good guy. He's funny. He's charming. But it's to see Sean Connery get beat and that his head cut off yeah. is a very, like, it's a very visceral moment because, you know, Sean Connery was James Bond and... You don't. You're not used to the idea of seeing somebody like Connery on his knees, getting his head cut off by somebody. So it had a lot of impact on the film. You, it made you hate the villain, like really hate him, and it and it, and it gave a lot of meaning and to, to you know to his death. He sort of sacrifices himself. And this, he's like, nah, fuck it, I'm bored. You know, like I'm out of here. We're <laughs> we're gone. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I would not here. I need to see some proof that he gave that money to charity because uh, there's no way if he suffered through this film he's just giving that money to charity. You know what I mean? You know, like, he probably he started it. a charity for himself because of this film yeah. and then donated he's all the money to it so he wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. He's not giving it away. All right, so then McLeod and well, Virginia Madsen are, are escaping the uh, the Shield Corporation, right? They they steal a truck or something and they're driving away. But uh, Michael Ironside is, like, clinging underneath the truck. Like Indiana Jones, yeah. When he's like crawling under, and then he they, they have a big sword fight and shit. I don't know. Are we at the end yet? This movie was like an hour and forty nine minutes. It seemed longer. It seemed very long. <laughs> it was very we long. We skipped over so uh, much Michael ago. Ironside showing up to the board meeting. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. uh, oh, he just right. figured. Good call. For some yeah. reason. Yeah. He knew that McLeod was going to go to the Shield Corporation. Uh, unclear why, I think. Uh, so he yeah, shut up and I ripped the guy's head in many, half. Many plot holes. And then John C. McGinley is at the board meeting, and he's trying to talk in this funny accent like Orson Welles. And it's yeah. just – like McGinley, I think we would all agree, is a pretty good actor. And this – yeah. It's absolutely disastrous attempt that he makes to do some kind of accent that he couldn't pull off. Like he's trying to talk like Orson Welles. And you know what? No one can fucking talk like Orson Welles, but Orson Welles. And when he died, it went with him. <laughs> so they, he, it's, uh, it's all, and then it, he kills him, right? He kills, uh, yeah, he kills McGinley. 
Not not there. He yeah. takes over the corporation. Yeah, not, not he yet. kills the henchman in that one. Yeah, yeah, because McGinley tells the henchman to kill uh, Ironside because he's like, I don't know who you are. Get out of here, buddy. Just just kill him. And he empties his gun into him, and Ironside looks like he's dead, but then he gets up, you know, because he's immortal. And then he takes that other guy's head and just rips it in half, kind of by the jaws, just like ah, rips yeah. it. And then uh, McGinley's like, all right, I guess McGinley. we can work together. Uh, Somebody kills yeah, what McGinley, happens to McGinley? Like, he kills him later. I know he eventually. Yeah, later, though. Not at that point. Um, I, th- I think after... Because uh, I think later he tells Ironside where uh, the Highlander's going, maybe? And he just cuts, cuts him down? Yeah, like where the the big generator is for the shield they got to get to or something. Oh, because the reason they broke into that uh, place in the first place, didn't they have his buddy, like, locked up? The scientist guy yeah. or something? Yeah, the place they so, broke into was like a prison. So they had to get, like, some information out of the scientist guy about where the shield is the weakest or something like that, or I don't know. Um, but uh, eventually, eventually... Uh, Ironside kills McGinley, he punches him in the belly, and his fist goes into his guts, and then he just walks him backwards and throws him out a window, out of the skyscraper, eventually. That's how he dies. I remember that part. Ow. So, but we get to the, <laughs> the big thing here is they got to bring down that shield, so eventually you get McLeod and Virginia Madsen there, and uh, uh, what's his face, Michael Ironside. So Ironside and uh, McLeod have to have their big sword fight, and then uh, McLeod just cuts off Ironside's head. I'll be honest, that sword fight was pretty underwhelming. That was pretty quick. It wasn't much of a fight. It was just like... No, uh, probably because Michael Ironside couldn't wield a 22-pound sword. (laughs) (laughs) If if you look at the the sword fights in Highlander the series, they got really, really good the longer the show went on. Even the first movie, there was a really good fight. Remember that fight with all the sparks coming off the swords and everything? Right, and the, and the reason was is that they were smart enough to use real swords for things like close-ups or just like, you know, very basic stuff when they're practicing or whatever. They used swords without edges. They were real swords, but they, they didn't have an edge put on them. But for real hardcore sword fighting, they use bamboo that's been treated with a spray that's a metallic. It's a very special kind of paint that doesn't look like spray paint. It makes things look really metal. And they break them, obviously. They break a lot of them during these. So they make like 10 or 15 for each sword. And they, they use them, and so the guys can go full bore. And if they miss, it's just hurt. Ow, you hit me on the arm like it stings. But it's just bamboo. It hurts, but it's not going you know, to fucking kill you. Whereas the 22-pound broadsword... <laughs> Obviously, and, you know, uh, Christopher Lambert lost part of his finger, and yeah. Michael Ironside got his jaw dislocated, and I think, what, what else happened to him? Something awful happened to both guys. <laughs> they, they got fucking hacked up during the sword fight. I, I heard a crew member actually died on this movie as well. He fell off a crane or something and died, which is sad. I, mean, I didn't know that. That's, that's very sad. For, as somebody who yeah. worked on, you know, has been on set and on location, I, nothing makes me angrier than cast and crew getting hurt. Um, I mean, I joke about the actors getting hurt, but the the uh, yeah. but actors seldom get killed, whereas casting or whereas crew uh, yeah. <laughs> frequently get killed. Um, for Highlander too, as well. He's dead. 
Yeah, a film that, as Michael Ironside said, was they all knew going in was a gigantic piece of shit. And contractually, they literally, that was the only reason none of them walked away. I mean, Connery was very smart in his career because he went through a long period where he was making terrible, terrible, god-awful movies, but he was getting paid. <laughs> he always understood the business side of, of, of the industry better than people think. I mean, he was extremely rich. Uh, that's, that's the thing about Sean Connery is, like, he's not one of those guys that didn't know how to make money. Um, you know, uh, he, didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't one of those people that, that goes through – let me put it this way. Um, you balk at the idea that he gave $3.5 million away to charity. $3.5 million is 1% of Sean Connery's net worth when he died. <laughs> That's pretty good. He was worth $350 million. He, he understood his brand. He, he knew how to make money. He would make terrible films, but he'd get fucking paid. He would get paid for those movies, trust me. So I don't know about the other guys, but he got paid. So nobody should have died for Highlander 2 or lost a fingertip or gotten their jaw broken. So, yeah, but the big fight, the sword fight, I expected more, Tuffy, right? Like explosions or something, some sparks, I don't know. Some punches, I don't know, something. But it was over pretty quick. So uh, yeah, that was it. I agree. That's basically it. Well, then, so then he had to, to destroy uh, the shield. Yeah. So tell them how they destroyed the shield, Tubby. Uh He just walks into the big laser beam and, um, I don't know, yells and blows it up or something. <laughs> I guess he releases his quickening energy. I think that's exactly yeah, what happened. Sure. <laughs> and that destroys the big shield. And, they, and he comes back. Uh, he just zaps back, and then they can see the stars, and then he just throws Virginia Madsen up against the wall and gives it to her again, and then maybe he's over. That's pretty much it, right? I think that's how it ends. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, have you have you guys seen the fairy tale ending? I read about it. No. Yeah. Tell I watched about it that. before this this podcast. <laughs> I watched it on YouTube. Um, McLeod turns like half invisible and he's like, I'm going back to my planet. Poochie, I'm going back to my planet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's one of the most my planet needs me. What, he was an alien? I guess so. Um, and Virginia, he's like, come with me. And Virginia Madsen's like, you know, I can't. And he's like, yes, you can. Just reach out. And, and he's like, it's a kind of magic. Now, I should explain why the phrase a kind of magic keeps coming up in this film. Okay. In the original Highlander, the soundtrack, the entire soundtrack for Highlander was scored and sung by Queen. Oh, that's right, yeah. So Queen did the soundtrack for Highlander. They did all the songs. Christopher Lambert was actually in the music video with them. They dressed up in, like, the trench coat with the jeans and this, you know, high-top sneakers or whatever. And they they did an album with some pretty, you know, if you like Queen, they did some pretty good songs for that album, pretty iconic songs. Um, and at any rate, there's a song called The Kind of Magic, which basically sort of, there is no explanation in the original film of where the, the immortals come from or why they're, you know, they're, they know how to do what they do. They kind of blow it off with the, you know, it's, it's, it's all kind of magic. And so in this film, they're playing on the musical score of Highlander, trying to tap into, like, a meta Queen reference. Um, All right. Which I think, yeah, which I think is pointless at that point because it's like, dude, you've disgraced. 
This film is a huge fucking piece of shit. So stop trying to make these references. But, yeah, so he's like, it's a kind of magic. And so she grabs his hand, and they go up, they float up into the sky, and they in a disappear in a flash to the planet Zeist or wherever the fuck. Um, yeah, wherever he comes from. Or back in time. I don't remember whichever version we're watching at this point. I don't even remember. Um, yeah. Well, I think in the version we watch, they just like the camera pans up at the stars and that's it. Like that's all. Yeah. Right. But uh, yeah, I guess they that fairy tale thing. They go back to the planet, but I don't. It doesn't matter because it sucked anyway. So who cares? Um, did we miss anything, Tuffy? A- any big moments from Highlander two that you would like to mention? Uh, there was a Queen song in this one, either at the bar or when he's fighting the two bozos at the beginning. Hmm. Yeah, I have no idea. I remember hearing your Queen song, but... I'm up on my Queen songs. Um, Miles, did we forget anything from the movie? I think we covered um, it. Just that I would really enjoy showing this movie to somebody who knows nothing about the Highlander franchise and hasn't seen the original film. <laughs> and have them ex- explain because what a Highlander the is. The level of bafflement <laughs> that they would experience, the level of confusion... The question they would have the and, and the, again the we we watched the revised version where it kind of ex- eliminated a lot of the crazy stuff. So if right, and the, that's that's something we should stress that yeah. the the renegade version, the one we watched, the, is the basically the equivalent of the director's cut. Russell Mulcahy, to his credit, Russell Mulcahy is not really entirely responsible for this atrocity. He's partially yeah. responsible to it, for certainly, but basically, as you said. The producers of this film, the, the people who underwrote it, basically took it over. Russell Mulcahy, he, had, he walked out when he saw the finished product 15 minutes into it. So you can, yeah. if that gives you a, if that gives you a measure of, of what he thought of the movie, 15 minutes in, he was done. So Russell Mulcahy decides to walk. And basically the film was sort of completed without a director, one might say, in the sense that he, he didn't really have any input into it. It was just a mess of shit. And from what was shot, he put Renegade version together, which is basically the best product that could have come out of what was made. So out of an F minus, he made a D film. (laughs) I I don't want to say D plus, but I would say D. (laughs) You know, because there's some funny lines. There's like a couple of things that – there's probably a couple of like camera angles or what you know what I mean like I'm grasping at straws here but it is le- we, I, it's less awful than the the theatrical version I think I think most yes. people would agree with that yeah everyone agrees um, on that universally so yeah yeah uh, and there are some even some people who are like they turned an absolute piece of trash into something that's kind of like a sixty something you know like like a D. You know, like a 62 uh, instead of a 10 or a 5 out of 100. They turn it into a 62 or something like that. I mean, it's still a bad movie. It's a very yeah, bad movie. Yes, it is. But, yes, it is. But it's it's probably, I guess the the final epitaph of this film would be that it's a lot, the renegade version's less god-awful than, than <laughs> the theatrical version. And I would like to say on a personal note, my friend J.D. Bauer was having a bad day in 1991, and asked me to go to this movie with him. And I was a big fan of the first film. We were in college, and I was like, nah. I, I don't know. Some instinct just told me this film was going to suck. Oh, you dodged the bullet. And he came back. He went, he went to the film. 
he and somebody else went to film some girl. He takes and he comes back and he goes, God, dude. He was like, homie. Because <laughs> that's the way he oh, talks. Man. He's like, he goes ironically, but he was like, that was that movie was terrible. And I was like, eh, uh, whatever. I'm, I'm sure it was bad. And then years later, I watched it and I was like, God in heaven. <laughs> What are those bird men and why is it why is there a planet called Zeist and what the fuck is going on? Oh, There's a you know, you always forgot to mention when he's fighting those bird men, he gets on like hoverboard little like roller skates. Yeah. And he's mm. flying around on these like floating roller skates. And one of the one of the bird men has big iron wings that are like a jet pack, but they look like yeah. big butterfly wings almost. And after his head gets cut off he goes into like a wall and, and it's electrocuted and it's at, oh and then and then let's not leave this out. One of the most distinctive things about Highlander is the fact that the sword that is wielded by McCloud, well, well first by Ramirez in the first film, and then he's killed and he gives the sword to McCloud. It's a very special Japanese katana. It's got a beautiful like ivory handle, beautiful beautiful weapon. That sword is nowhere in the film, and I'm pretty sure it was destroyed or something. I don't, I don't remember what happened to it, but when he, when he confronts General, when he confronts Michael Ironside at the end of the movie, he suddenly has the sword. And the funny thing is, is he didn't, didn't even take notice. it with him into, you never see the fucking thing. And he didn't take it with him into, when, they, when he and Sean Connery and Virginia Madsen smuggled themselves into the shield thing, he doesn't have a sword. But then he confronts General Katana and he's like, he whips out this, uh, this Katana. And you're like, where, the, where were you hiding that? Yeah, I wasn't even paying attention. <laughs> I didn't even care. It's but three I did feet read long. Like, did that. you have it shoved yeah. up your ass and you pulled it out right before the fight? Because if you did, that's got to be that's painful. Right. I know you're immortal and you yeah, can only die if your head's cut off. But yeah. still, I'm, that can't be comfortable. But it was like, the reason – and people go, why would you nitpick? But the reason is that, that, that things like that drive me crazy is if you don't pay attention to the little things in a movie, it means you're also not paying attention to the big thing. It's, the details in a film matter. When you're sloppy about continuity, when you're sloppy about logic, it's, it means you don't respect your audience and you don't respect the story. Because Mike Dell, in all seriousness, as a storyteller, you're, and you're putting out another book, Right now, right. another church, Churchville book. Um, right. It, as a storyteller, there is a there is a personal integrity of you through stories. You don't want to make mistakes. You don't want logical gaps. You don't want plot holes. They're going to happen. There's dialogue you think might you know in retrospect, oh, it's not good enough, or this this scene's weak, or the overarching plot isn't as strong as I want it to be, or but. You, you're bothered by those things usually, like you're troubled by them a little bit, or you're embarrassed, or you're like, damn, I wish I'd done that better. When people don't give a shit about, like, where'd that come from? Like, what the fuck is going on here? Why is Poochie from another planet? Like, it's, it's insulting to the audience. It's, it's like, you're not, it's unprofessional. It's, it's, there's just this air of, of, God, you don't even care. You put... 14 or 35 million dollars into this fucking movie and and you didn't sit down long enough to explain how he has a sword 
Like, it's just that th- those little things are actually what get me more than the giant plot holes. Because, I mean, let's face it, we're talking about a movie where people cut each other's heads off. They're immortal. There's a shield over the planet. There's bird assassins. Like, you know what I mean? I, I, if we want to get into big things, we'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> so, Tuffy, what would you give Highlander 2, the renegade cut, 1 out of 10? Uh, say a four. Yeah, I thought yeah, that's not, where it it's was. not good. <laughs> yeah, like there's really nothing um, I can Sean imagine Connery to watch again. Fun. Yeah, no. yeah Connery's pretty good. Uh, Mike Ironsides is entertaining. Uh, that that train yeah. scene was pretty good. Uh, Virginia Madsen, you know, attractive lady, but uh, no nudity whatsoever. So that you know that yeah. hurts. Uh. Yeah, there's no, like, things I, – I can't imagine seeing this on TV going, oh, yeah, I'll sit and watch that again. Nope, not going to do that. Um, so, yeah, maybe a four. Uh, Miles, what do you think? I would give the original version a two at best. I would give yeah, this one – I honestly don't know if I'd go as high as a four. I'm going to go yeah. with, like, a three. <laughs> Yeah, I felt like being generous because the first one, generous. which we didn't 2. see. 2.5 is what my instinct is. But. Cause, yeah, we didn't see the first one, so we just assume how bad that is, and this is better, so it has to be. But, yeah, probably a three would be more yeah. in line with what it I would is. Say, but, I would um, say it's like a, somewhere somewhere around a three, maybe a little higher, because in fairness, the original is somewhere between a zero and a two. So to say this <laughs> one's better, in fairness, you've got to make it at least a three. So say three and a half split the difference. I'd give it about a three and a half. It's a fucking movie. It does have some cool costume design for when the shit, like the, the Connery outfit and... Uh, yeah. That suit he gets wearing, made like, is really nice. I like that suit he made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The custom-made suit. Well, that's the most famous tailor in Scotland that he went to in real life. Um, <laughs> that's a nice suit. But the costumes they wear, like, when they're on Zeist or in the past or wherever the fuck it is, those are kind of cool. And like you said, Ironside knows how to... He can rein it in and do a realistic bad guy, or he can just say, fuck it. I'm going to, you know, just have fun with this piece of shit film. Oh, I um, forgot another scene. I forgot another scene where uh, he gets a cab driver to drive him to that old church or whatever, or that whatever the place yeah. is. Right where his wife and, Yeah. Yeah. So this cab driver, he's like, hey, buddy, what's going on and all that? And uh, Michael Ironside just starts beating the fuck out of the cab. He, like, breaks all the windows, puts the sword through the front of the windshield. And the cab driver thinks it's all cool. He's like, I got to – you got to beat my sister. She has tattoos. You guys would hit it off. It would be great. And then, like, Michael Ironside walks around the cab, kicks out the headlights, and, like, hisses at the guy. <laughs> and then he comes up to the side window. And now the cab driver is terrified of him, even though, like, the whole time he thought he was the coolest guy ever, even when he's busting his car. It was very bizarre, that whole exchange. Yeah. And then when he's done, Michael Ironside says, put it on my tab. Yes. Which also doesn't make any sense because he wouldn't know what a tab is, one. There's a lot. Yeah, because at one point they say, like, uh, they they don't know what words mean. And then uh, when uh, Michael Ironside shows up at that corporation boardroom meeting, after they shoot him and he gets up uh, when he's not dead, he says, hey, fellas, that's no way to treat your number one draft pick. What? What? Why are you making a football reference? Michael How would he know Ironside? anything about a football about football? <laughs> I know. Uh, it makes no God, sense. Just, you literally just cost the movie 
that point yeah. five. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a down, three. It's down to, it's, it's going yeah, back three's to all around. Three's all around. It doesn't yeah. make thing when I when I see a film, it can be a bad movie, right? But I want it to make sense in. I want it to have what's what I guess is referred to as internal logic, where yeah, that's all you need. It could be the most outrageous thing in the world, but it's got to make sense within its own limits. You know, like yes. if you watch Lord of the Rings, or if you watch Star Wars, or Star Trek, or any anything, it's like there's these internal rules of vampire Some movies, Star Wars, or the garlic and sunlight and everything, right? You have your internal logic. This movie doesn't have any internal logic at all. Everything just fucking <laughs> no. happens, as if the writers were just minute to minute like fuck it. We need a scene where Michael Ironside destroys something. Fuck it. Let's have him destroy this cab. There's no reason for him to kill everyone in the train car, but let's do it. He he wouldn't know what a sports reference is, but fuck it. Let's have him make it. Yeah, Yeah, it is pretty bad. Pretty, pretty bad. All right. But, you know, the first Highlander, if you're in the mood for some Highlander, go watch the first one. You'll enjoy it. Um, It's entertaining. Hey, Tuffy, remember in the first one, it opens up with that guy flipping like a monkey down in the parking garage, doing all them flips and everything? Remember that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. like a wrestling scene, too. And there's some pro wrestling at the beginning. That's right. That the, first, yeah. the fabulous Freebirds were wrestling in the first match there. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. So there it is, Highlander 2. Um, yeah, I don't know where we go from there, but... Uh, Miles, you got to pick now, something. I think Jenk uh, said in the chat that better. he thought this was a pretty solid movie. Yeah, yeah. When Jenk told us that he couldn't make it tonight, he's like, uh, "And I watched the movie, and I thought it was pretty damn solid!" Exclamation point. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, "No, no, it was not." <laughs> oh no, well, them Janks can't account for them. Miles, have you been watching anything else on the TV? Any other movies? Uh, you know, I'm I'm always watching old shit. I'm watching like old school, uh, random. F- um, I'm, I've been watching Forever Night, Friday the Thirteenth, the series. Uh, oh, that hey, who was that redhead girl on there? Roby. Yeah, she was something, right? Yeah, she was pretty cute. Um, I haven't seen her name. Louise Roby. It holds up. I mean, it's very cheesy, and, you know, it's, it was made in the 80s, but yeah. it's unbelievably brutal for syndicated television. In the, it, it ran from 87 to 90, and the level of violence in it is kind of shocking. <laughs> I mean, it really is kind of shocking. The, 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 it's a horror movie. Like, it's a horror series, obviously, but it's not like a touchy-feely horror. Like, people get fucking killed, tortured, turned into things, beheaded, fucking, it's gruesome deaths, drowned in toilets, like, Tuffy, it's, Tuffy's it's a not, bit younger than us, so Tuffy, do you even remember that show at all, Friday the 13th, the TV show? No. Yeah. It, it wasn't like a, series. yeah, the series, it, it wasn't like Jason Voorhees or anything, it was like, Miles, weren't they like, uh, they owned some little collectible shop or something, they had to go, re- like, they're always investigating, like, possessed items or something or yeah the, the, premise of the, the, the through line of the series the the premise of the series was actually really clever it's that there's this antique shop that the owner made a deal with the devil that if he sold all these items that were cursed by the devil each with its own unique kind of ironic curse uh, that the buyer didn't necessarily know about that he would get all you know he would have all these wonderful things happen to him like you do when you make a deal with the devil he'd be immortal and rich 
And he tries to go back on the deal. So he is taken to hell or something. And his two unsuspecting relations who have nothing in common take over the shop. And then they discover that they've sold, when they first take over the shop, they do like a liquidation sale. And they sell everything. And then this this guy comes and who's kind of like a Kolchak, the Night Stalker type figure or Giles from Buffy. He comes in and tells them what they did. And so they start hunting down all these cursed items and trying to return, you know, get them back into this vault where they'll be safe. So they're pri- basically on this mission to recover all these cursed items. And if it, this sounds that a little is a hell familiar. Of a like you, That's a hell of a Yeah, it's an amazing sure. premise. I'm surprised it hasn't been rebooted yet. Warehouse 13 ripped it off really hard. Um, I don't know if you ever heard oh, of that or saw it. it but, I've heard of it, but, but I never it's saw a, it. It's a straight ripoff in terms of its premise. It's their, their, it influenced a lot of shows. It influenced X-Files. It influenced um, Fringe. It influenced Supernatural. It influenced a lot of shows. Um, it, it's one of those shows that never got its due as far as the level of influence that it had. It, I mean, a lot of it is, if you watch it, I mean, it's, it's an 80s show, so there's a lot of cheesiness. There's the fashions make you cringe and stuff. Some of the endings are like laugh out loud, you know, that dumb kind of 80s huggy thing that they do at the end where everyone's fake laughing, and then they roll the credits, you know, like at, a, at the end of a sitcom. But, I mean, talk about a series that was willing to, to push violence to its fucking utmost boundaries for television at the time. I mean, some of the shit they do on that show, you, you'd, have, you'd have a tough time talking censors through today as far as, like, there's a show about a cursed wood chipper. Use your imagination. Um, the, the <laughs> How are you chipper, watching the show? Where is it streaming? Uh, uh, no, I, uh, I back when I was um, kind of yen to find all the shows that had slipped by me when I was in the 80s and, like, ni- 70s, 80s, 90s shows that I'd never really watched or heard, like, I'd, I'd heard of or I'd seen an episode of, like, Millennium, which is a Chris Carter show that was a spinoff of X-Files. Yeah, Long Gunman, like these shows that, yeah, there was like a lot of these shows that had kind of gone by me that I, I was like, fuck it, I want to check them out. So I watched all of Millennium, I watched all of Forever Night, I watched all of Friday the 13th series. I'm still doing it, but I went on this big binge a few years ago where I just kindred the embrace, like I did The Lone Gunman, I did all these shows that kind of went under the radar and are somewhat forgotten, but they were incredibly influential on the shows that came after that became much bigger. Um and didn't necessarily give props to, you know, what came before. So it was very interesting from my point of view to see the the level of influence that shows like Supernatural, Fringe, X-Files, like all this Warehouse 13, all these shows that came down the pike that became very popular with people. The antecedents, you know, started with like Kolchak, the Night Stalker. And then you go out to like Friday the 13th, the series, and then Forever Night, and then you get into Buffy and Angel and Supernatural and Fringe, and it's all part of like a a big tapestry. But if you go back, you see how much those early shows got – the polite way would be mined. The rude way would be raped. <laughs> but <laughs> like, but you, you like own the DVDs, or is there a place to watch it? Or? Mm-hmm. I'm a big believer in owning physical media because if you look at, like, if you watch The Office, the episode Diversity Day has been deleted from streaming. Um, right. Deal with <laughs> what they were talking about in that. Jokes. And, 
if you look at The Simpsons, the episode that Michael Jackson was the guest voice on in, like, the third season, <laughs> that's been eliminated. Um, you can't get that anymore on streaming because certain people don't want you to see it. They don't trust you as an adult to make a decision about what you can and can't watch. They want to tell you that you can't watch it. So I'm a big believer in if you have a chance to own something, you should have a physical copy of it or burn it. Whatever you need to do, if it's torrenting, I'm not a big believer in stealing from people because I, I don't <laughs> yeah, know don't if steal I steal from people. I've, well, I've, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but there are literally websites that I have discovered about myself. What? I am an extremely obscure independent writer. I don't think I've made much more than twenty thousand dollars just writing <laughs> and in my your in my life. And I discovered last year that there were black web, whatever you call it, deep web uh, sites that were devoted entirely to stealing uh, and torrenting my books. <laughs> nice. You're famous. <laughs> you made it. Mom. I you was super fucking flattered. I was like, yeah, because I don't make any, you know, I mean, like, I don't really make that much money and it's, it's doing writing. So it's like, I would love to, and I'm making, I've made more this year than I've already than I've made the whole of probably like the year before but still it's not a lot of money relatively speaking for me it's more about the number of people that have read my stuff it's not about the money i make it, so i kind of wanted to get on these threads you know like join up and be like hey i'm miles watson but would you mind just <laughs> telling me if you stole my shit i'm not going to get you in any trouble i just want to know how many people are doing this like is it five or is it 500 or five thousand? like I would love to know because if like if you want to steal it, I can't stop you from stealing it. But I would just like to know, you know what I mean? Like, drop me a line, you know? Like, hit me up on Twitter or fucking, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, just tell me, like, hey man, I torrented your shit. I really like it <laughs> because I I couldn't fucking believe it. I found a guy on Twitter who was advertising a black website where you could get on a thread and discuss how you could torrent my shit. <laughs> I'm not making this up. I posted this on Facebook and I even posted the links and I got in trouble for posting the links because they're, they're like dark websites and they're, you know, you get in trouble for posting them. Yeah. But I, it's on, like, if you go on my Facebook, you will find it. It's there. And uh, I actually wrote it all down. So, if anybody thinks I'm making this up to, like, try to pretend that I'm more popular than I am, I actually wrote these fucking sites down. Uh, I don't know if they're still well, good because so, I haven't, haven't uh, well, so help me. looked if, at it. If I find years, out but... people are pirating this fake radio show, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, well, you should, you know, unless you find out, like, 10,000 people did it, and then you're like, hey, man, <laughs> 10,000 people are listening hey. to this shit. I'm not getting paid for it, but fuck it. By the because... way, I, I, cert- I Googled up the uh, Friday the 13th. And uh, apparently, you go to archive.org, you can watch the episodes for free. So uh, from season one. Uh, and there's also a good book. I mean, it's way overwritten, but there's a there's a good book on Friday the Thirteenth, a series written by Elise Wax, where she basically interviewed every fucking person that had anything ever to do with that show. The Fred Mullen, the guy that wrote the music, all the actors, the guest actors, the producers, uh, Mancuso, the guy who did the Friday the Thirteenth movies who also executive produced the series. She interviews him. If you're a horror fan, it's a good book to read. Yeah, that, that Louise Roby, she's something. 
Yeah, she was a that, she was a pop music singer with a couple yeah. of hits. And she was also married to a count, so she was a countess for a while. <laughs> she was a very successful fashion model. And she had a brief TV career, which she quit acting after Friday the 13th, the series, because it was so exhausting to do the series. She was like, I'm done with acting. But she's, uh, she's actually, you know, pretty interesting woman. How about that? There you go. All right, Miles Watson. Uh I guess we're done here. Anything else to tell the kids? Uh, tell uh, by the books, right? Cage Life, Knuckle Down, Sinners Cross, The Devils You Know. Yeah, I've got, uh, I got a new one out called Deus Ex. It's not a full-length book. It's about 20,000 words, which is about a quarter of a novel or, ha- or a third, depending on how long you like your novels. I'd say the quarter. Uh, so it's like, five, what What would you say that would be, Mike Dell? Five, ch- five or six chapters? It depends, you know. Uh, yeah, it depends. I write short chapter. chapters because my editor is Mike Dell, so he taught me how to write short <laughs> chapters. But uh, I keep my chapters around 2,000 words, but uh, a lot of authors like to go a lot beyond that. But um, it's 20,000 words. That would be 10 chapters by my own standard. But uh, I wrote a, wrote a book called Deus Ex and a uh, short book, very outside my normal wheelhouse, um, Branching out into various different genres, trying to get into everything, you know, like alternative history, dystopia, science fiction, fantasy, horror. Well, horror I've done before, but, uh, yeah, so there's that. I'm trying to trying to branch out. Yeah, and, and do you want to tell the kids what it's about? It's about a – it's kind of an alternative history story about a dictator who is at the very end of his dictatorship, like the enemy is kind of at the gates, and his empire is falling apart, and they're coming for him, and he has this kind of escape strategy that he's going to try to enact. And he's also going over kind of the history in his mind of how he got to this point. And it's kind of about, I mean, it's, it's, I don't want to give away, it's one of those stories you can't tell too much about because it would give everything away, but it's basically about, did do people learn lessons from their mistakes? This guy made a lot of mistakes when he was dictator of Europe, and now that it's all come to smash and everything's gone to shit and he is trying to escape, it's sort of like, I think you likened it to what, Hitler going to Argentina? Yes. Was your comment, which is pretty accurate. He He is kind of like a Hitler-type figure who is basically at the end of his, of his dictatorship and he's trying to escape and he's also thinking about the mistakes he made but his ego is filtering through this process so it's like he thinks he's a god but it's it's i don't know it was it was a very interesting fun story to write it was a hard write but uh i enjoyed it it took me out of my wheelhouse i'm happy with it and i'm not as you know as mike knows and i know mike is himself we're not the the gentlest critics of our own writing. <laughs> We're the first to kind of self spew our self-loathing all over to our own work. But uh, I'm happy with it. I've got that out. I've got, I've now have five basically novellas out in addition to my novels and my short story collection. Uh, I've got Seal and Mord, Shadows and Glory, Nosferatu, Deus Ex, and uh, what the hell is the other one? There's five of them. I'm missing one. 
I can't think of it. You named all the ones. Over, oh, the numbers game, right? The numbers game. Oh yeah, the numbers game. That's one of my. That's the one. Incidentally, that's the one that they were discussing on this uh, this thread about <laughs> when I was about to release the numbers game. There were this one woman wrote. It, it, it was a woman. I don't remember how I know that, but I guess her handle was female, and she was like, I'm so excited for this one. I can't wait for this one to come out. And I'm thinking, this fucking book costs 99 cents I to know. download like, on Amazon. They're a dollar. And, and the funny thing is this. The torrent site costs a dollar to join. <laughs> That's a slap in the face. So you, you, yeah, so face. you had to pay a dollar a month to be on this, this uh, illegal – you know, it's Let's one of those ones with the dot – Instead of .com, it was like .bgus, you know, .bugs or, you know, one of those, like, sleazy Russian fucking sites. And they, it, and I remember because I tried to join it, and they're like, you, we need your credit card. And I'm like, I'm giving you my fucking credit card, Vladimir Putin. Go invade the Ukraine, you bald prick. So I'm like, you can't have my credit card. Absolutely fucking not. But they wanted $1 a month to join this torrent site. And I said to myself, I'm like, you could download any one of my novel, novellas and some of my older novels for 99 cents pretty much at any time. And you, uh, you're willing to pay a dollar a month for this fucking this torrent site. I'm like, why don't you just go on Amazon and download it? You have a good, clean Kindle copy. Yes. That's yeah. yours. They don't, want, they don't want to give you that 60 cents. Or whatever no, and at my thirty-three cent royalty that I get on a ninety-nine yeah, cent right. download, they, they want to that's cheat right, me of that, motherfuckers. <laughs> but I, I, I admit it. When I first saw it, I, it was like I got a weird feeling. I was like, I feel like I'm kind of violated. But then at the same time, I was like, Wow, yeah. people, I actually give a shit about me to the point where they're willing yeah. to steal from me. It's flattering. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I was, I was flattered. No one I was steals from me. Strangely flattered. So if you, you you don't know though you you probably haven't done the fucking uh, <laughs> drunken three in the morning um, Google searches on yourself, which led to this discovery. That's the thing that was funny is that I was I decided one night I'd never Googled myself. Yeah, never, don't Google because yourself. I was always worried about yeah I was you always worried blind. about reading something that was going to upset me. You know, like somebody's like this guy's a worthless piece of shit. You know, and I already know that I don't need to see it in writing. So I'm like. Fuck it. Well, I was drunk, and I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I did it, and I was like, this is really interesting, because a lot of shit was old interviews and stuff like from like five years ago and pictures that I'd forgotten about, and I was like, well, this is kind of cool. And then I started seeing these weird links, and I was like, what is this? And I'm clicking on it, and, and at one point, my web browser wouldn't let me go on. It was like, the yeah. site's not safe. And I'm like, what is this? And I ended up on these torrenting sites, and then I got linked to Twitter, and somebody had put the numbers game up as a free link. Like, you can go to this fucking Russian Chechnyan website and download this, this fucking thing. And I'm like, wow, they're stealing my stuff. So, yeah. So maybe, hey, mate, right now, Mike Dell, somebody may be illegally torrenting your brand new book. <laughs> we can only hope. We can mm-hmm. only hope. <laughs> All right, Miles Watson. Well, thank you, buddy. And, uh, Start thinking for the next movie, you know, next time you're around. And, uh, oh, you know me. I, I, I know winner. a lot of bad movies. <laughs> and we'll get you on Flea Market Fantasy again, you know, after Tough Yeah, and with think about run. a way to rhyme my name with a month so I can come on four times. Because this, this whole thing of Jank just leaving me in the dust is unacceptable. Yeah, I it's hear unacceptable. you. It's, it's kind of going to his head, too, that Jank, you know? He's getting a little uh, full of himself. So 
Yeah, he's, yeah, you've created a monster. Yeah, I take him I down hope you're happy. Yeah. So, all right, Miles Watson, thank you, buddy, and uh, we'll be in touch. All right, brother. Thanks for having me, guys. Good night, everybody. There he goes, the Miles Watson on Twitter. You can follow him on there and go buy his books. It's uh, go to one nine uh, books dot com, see all his novels, and uh, that'll link you to Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search for Miles Watson. Bring up all the novellas and the novels and everything. Real good time. So there you go, Tuffy. We've now seen two of the Highlander movies. Yeah. Will we progress along in the series, or are we done with the Highlander? Um, I think we're good for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I think we're good. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, we still got a few things to talk about before we get out of here, Tuffy. Uh, if I can find yeah. uh, the gambling theme song, we can recap the gambling here real quick. Because I did have a week at the gambling. Um, got a couple stories to tell about the gambling. Uh, let's see. Here we go. I got the horse right here. The name is Paul Revere. And here's the guy that says if the weather's clear. I'm- They're clean. Because my hand is clean. Oh, yeah, I'm Charmin Queen. That's how I know they're clean. Yes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we did lose the uh, German handball. We, we, it was a 14 parlay. We hit three of them, but we needed that one team to come up with the upset, and they didn't do it. Um, so that's a shame. We lost that one. But uh, this week, we're going to go Danish basketball, a three-leg parlay. Now, now Tuffy, here we go. We're, we're taking big underdogs, but we're taking the points here. So we're taking BK Amager. Plus 27 and a half. Because I've said it, if yeah. I've said it once, Tuffy, I've said it a thousand times. If you're going to give me BK Amager in 27 points, I'll take it. <laughs> BK Amager, 27 and a half points. BMS Herlev Wolfpack, plus 23 and a half. And Vrice BBK, plus 26 and a half. One dollar will get you 641. So, yeah, we're going with big underdogs. If I see a 23 point, you know, if I'm getting 23 plus points, I'm taking it. Because what's the incentive to beat a team by 24 points? I think you you get bored, right? When you're up by 18 or 19, yeah. so you just stop. So we'll see if this works. Because that is something I'm doing in the college basketball lately. I won with one of them this week. I'll find teams with enormous point spreads. I'll make a big parlay of it. Then I'll tease them <laughs> to make the spreads even bigger. And I sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't but i did hit one a dollar for like five bucks the other night so that was nice but uh so there it is i'll, I'll tweet out i'll let you know if we win the big uh, danish basketball parlay but last week was the super bowl Tuffy, you're now once again the gambling champion because you had the bengals uh plus the four points i had the Rams yeah. minus the four uh, again, the game went exactly as I thought it was going to go. Um, Joe Burrow was getting sacked left and right. Uh, what, he got sacked like seven times, right, I think, by the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, uh, right. The Bengals' offense was producing jack shit, except for when the guy ripped his head off and ran 75 yards uncontested. <laughs> yeah. So that was amazing. How does the referee not see that? You know? but, I, don't uh, know. I don't know. That was stunning. And, uh, yeah, then they did call the penalties there at the end of the game. But that Matthew Stafford, though, he came through in the clutch again. Uh, you know, that was impressive, that drive. And yeah. uh, Cooper Cup. It's like for three quarters they forgot Cooper Cup was on the team. And then there's two minutes to go. And they're like, hey, we should throw the ball to Cooper Cup. What about that? And they just kept throwing yeah. the ball. And 
coaching is so the coaches in the NFL they're always trying to outsmart themselves, you know. They're trying to be like show how smart they are and stuff. Keep it simple. You have Cooper Cup, they don't throw it to Cooper Cup all the fucking time. And uh yeah. Cuz oh dude, Tuffy, cuz when OBJ if uh OBJ didn't get hurt in that game, I think he he was on pace. It looked like he was going to yeah, have a great game. <clears throat> Yeah, you would have had your four points then. Yeah. That's why I was as soon as that touchdown when they ripped his head off and I'm like, "Oh fuck, I'm not going to cover." Because OBJ was out. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, this isn't good." Um so everything was setting up for the Bengals to at least cover because we said last week how the spread usually doesn't even matter in the Super Bowl, but it mattered this time. So uh but yeah the also, Rams won. A, didn't they miss an extra point too or was that the Bengals? Yes. I I believe it was the Rams that missed the extra point. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. So but they did end up winning. And uh I had them on the under. So I bet the same amount on the under and the spread so it's just canceled out so it wasn't a big deal. Um I think for the Super Bowl, I ended up a couple bucks in the good because I hit a couple props. Like the coin toss I won, it was heads. <laughs> I won with that. Yeah. I won Vaughn Miller and uh, Aaron Donald each have a sack. I won with that one. Um, over three and a half sacks, I won with that. Uh, really, you know, a bunch uh, of Aaron Donald should have been the MVP, I feel like. Yes. If he would have been the MVP, I would have won another 40 bucks on a two because I had him yeah. uh, to win the MVP, and I also had a dollar bet on a defensive player being the MVP, so I would have won like for 45 bucks. They should have at least shared Cooper it, Cup, right? Because they, they've yeah, done Cooper that. Cooper Cup didn't do anything. He did one drive. Aaron Donald was dominating the entire game, and ended the game. Yeah, those two plays there uh, to end the game were amazing. That one play he makes where he reaches around from behind the guy and kind of tackles him. It looks like he just does it by himself, but there's another Ram on the other side tackling yeah. that guy as well. But no one ever. But it's also that. if it's if it's <laughs> close between Aaron Donald, the guy who's been you know the the best defensive player in the league for a decade, versus Cooper Cup, it's like just give the defensive player the MVP. It, the the crazy know. thing about Cooper Cup is he uh, won that game once. And got hit in the head, and there's two <laughs> yeah. flags on the play, so it got canceled. So he he like got his head together, like shook his head, and like all right, I'm not concussed, really, I'm not. Then he came back, uh-huh. won the game again. <laughs> it's like holy hell. Yeah. And he also had an interference penalty in between there too. Um, yeah, so yeah, they both deserved it. They were deserving winners, but I mean, they shared it in the past. So I would I thought it would have been yeah. fitting if they shared it, and Otto won forty five dollars. So that would have been nice. Yeah, but um. Yeah. So that was the Super Bowl. And then, uh, hey, Tuffy, did you see the big parade they had the other day? Yeah. Tens like of people. people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were lining the streets in L.A. <laughs> it was Nobody like gives a shit about the Stanley Cup parades down the Boulevard of the Allies in Pittsburgh. People hanging off buildings. No, in L.A., it was jam-packed. Yeah, I think when, the, when the Cubs won the World Series, they estimated, like, Three million people on the parade route. <laughs> Were there any estimates for the LA parade route? Was it twelve? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of sad. It was around there, I think, about the same. Yeah. But then there's another thing that happened during the celebration. Matthew Stafford got all liquored up, and then he's yeah. on a stage. Would you like? Do you know what I'm talking about here, Tuffy? I didn't and, see uh, it. No, I I missed that. All right, all right. He's on an elevated stage. It's about ten feet up. And uh, he's just boozing it with his wife. And there's a photographer there, and she's backing up to take his picture. She falls right off the edge of the stage, plummets 10 feet to the ground. 
Matthew Stafford sees this. Matthew Stafford sees this. The woman just disappears. He just says, nope, starts drinking and walks away. And his wife is like, holy fuck, that lady just dropped to her death. So his wife goes over, and she's all concerned. But Matthew Stafford saw what happened, just turned away and walked away like nothing. Like It was amazing. Well, he's not a doctor. What's he supposed to do? He showed some concern for another human being. So it turns out that this lady, she falls down. She actually fractured her spine. Ooh. Now, She's not like it's not like a paralyzing situation or anything, but she still broke her back. Yeah, and she's in, but that she's sounds like one of those like chronic lifetime injuries. Yeah, it's going to be bad. So they put up all these uh, uh, um, like GoFundmes and shit for her to raise money for, her. and uh, but people were sticking it to Stafford like, what the fuck were you doing? Just you could at least show some concern for her. So the Rams came out and they said, you know what, we're going to cover her medical expenses and also her cameras broke when she fell. And, you know, that may not seem like a big deal, but professional cameras cost a lot of fucking money. Yeah, a couple thousand dollars probably. Yeah. So uh, the Staffords, they both said, you know what, we're going to cover all that. Well, don't worry. We'll pay for it. But then today, Tuffy, there's another uh, addition to this story. It turns out this lady's a filthy racist. (laughs) 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 People, People were so upset that Matthew Stafford was getting a bad rep for this that Matthew Stafford fans went through this lady's old Twitter account, and holy hell, she's a filthy racist. So, oh, God. Like, so now people are like, we don't feel sorry that she fell and broke her back. Like, what? I mean, you still should feel sorry for the person breaking their back, but... I know. The whole thing is so... You know, there's still up. empathy. Uh, so now people are like, uh, they want their money back, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, like Pat McAfee, like when he saw it happen, he donated five grand to her, GoFundMe. And then today he tweeted out, he's like, hey, some new stuff's come to light. I had no idea this was who she was. <laughs> but, you know, I still, uh, it taught me a lesson, maybe research people more. But, you know, we should still treat each other good. You know, we're all in the same boat. Like, let's not be racist yeah. fucks, but let's not also cheer that someone broke their back. It's just be good people, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, well, yeah, this story was crazy. So who knows where it goes from here? But, uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Social media. But, oh, boy. Anyway, I mean, I hope that lady uh, is no longer a filthy racist, and I hope that her back heals. Yeah. We can wish for the both, I guess. I don't know. Everyone be good. Just try to be a good person. Yeah. And hey, Matthew Stafford. Next time you, maybe Matthew Stafford knew she was a filthy racist. That's why he didn't care. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, so there's your Super Bowl wrap up. Um, hey, this week though, Tuffy, uh, Kid Crosby scored his uh, 500th goal against the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah. And I, I made my largest sporting wager ever that night. I bet $25 that Kid Crosby would score against the Flyers that night, and I won. So I, I, ended, I won 50 bucks. They paid me back 75 Look at that. My biggest sporting wager. Congratulations. That, yeah, thank you. That was a lock. Kid Crosby against the Flyers for goal number 500. And he came through like a champ. So uh, then uh, there's another. I, I, I won a couple. Uh, I think I've won about 30 bucks on the slots the last two nights. So that's good. But uh, 
here's something that happened also. The, the eve of the Super Bowl, FanDuel had this thing called uh, FanDuel uh, Super Fan Showdown or something like that on the eve of the Super Bowl. And Pat McAfee and his boys were hosting it and uh, A.J. Hawk and all those fellas. And basically, uh, I don't know if you – did you hear about this, Tuffy, at all? Know anything about it? No. This? All right. So they had, like, uh, competitions. It was streaming online on YouTube. And uh, they had competitions against a uh, former uh, NFL player – or NFL players and celebrities would compete in, like, five events. And you could wager on who you thought would win. And you could, and they give okay. everybody a certain amount of money to wager. And it's like a contest. And whoever, you know, certain – they're giving away, like, $200,000 in prizes. And they would eventually uh, say who won, or if you whoever like wins the most money with their wagers qualifies to win the prizes. All right. So the first event was Joe Montana versus Anthony Anderson, that actor guy, in uh, yeah in in cornhole. Yeah. So that seemed like a yeah. lock for Joe Montana, right? I mean, he think. made his living throwing it with his arm. Throwing so things. I, yeah. So right away, I'm like, well, I got to go in there and bet on Joe Montana. But here, the website crashed. So many people were trying to get in, so I couldn't place a wager on it. But by the time I was able to sign up and everything, I missed the chance to place a wager. So I'm like, all right, well, I'll just watch this. And uh, But Joe Montana won. He beat Anthony Anderson yeah. in the cornhole. Well, of course he did. Yeah, So, but I missed out on that one. So the second event is Emmett Smith versus Alexa Bliss Ooh. in air hockey. <laughs> but – she was going as Lexi Kaufman, not Alexa Bliss, because it wasn't WWE, you know, sponsored. Yeah. I guess. So, so Lexi Kaufman versus Emmett Smith, and uh, Lexi was there. And uh, right before the event, so but I said, well, Emmett Smith is an old man. He's an old broken down man. Alexa Bliss, she's yeah. gonna whip him. She has hand eye coordination. She's gonna whip Emmett Smith in air hockey. So I bet on Alexa Bliss. Who do you think uh, would you bet on there, Tubby? Uh, I don't know, because I don't know if either of them have ever played air hockey. Yes, that's a good point, because I didn't know either when I made my bet. I just bet on Alexa Bliss, because it's Alexa Bliss. But then right after I made my bet, they said, oh, they interviewed Alexa Bliss, and she says, oh, yeah, we had an air hockey table when I was growing up. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. So now what, the all-time leading rusher? Yeah, Alexa Bliss. Alexa Bliss whipped his ass. Yeah. Two games straight. They played best out of three. She whipped them the first two games, done and done. So I won with Alexa Bliss. Next up, we had uh, Michael Irvin, the playmaker, versus Steve Smith of the uh, you know Carolina Panthers fame. Yeah. Not the, not the hockey defenseman. I'm sure you were thinking that right away, Steve Smith of the Oilers. Yeah. And the, no, no, no. Steve Smith of the uh, Panthers. So uh, who, who did you think – who would you bet on there? What are they doing? Uh, oh, I didn't say that. Uh, table tennis table tennis uh i guess i'll go steve smith because um michael Irvin was just out doing drugs the whole time steve smith might have been playing you know (laughs) games with teammates or something it was also heavily implied that mike Irvin had never played table tennis and that steve smith was really good so i bet heavily on steve smith i don't yeah i don't remember if it was steve smith specifically but i know i've heard you know NFL or baseball players maybe talk about, you know, some of them are really good at stuff like that. But also Steve Smith is like super, like obviously Michael Irvin is super, but Steve Smith is yeah. like uh, punch you in the face competitive. You know what I mean? Like that, that yeah. guy literally it's like the way, uh, people in the face. 
Chris Paul, the basketball player, is really good at bowling, apparently, I think. I did not know that. Yeah. Did not know yeah. That. So I, I bet heavily on Steve Smith. And Mike Warburton actually did pretty good if he's never played table tennis. He actually was okay. But then, you know, Steve Smith was just toying with him. And then whenever he wanted to, he just started yeah. spinning shit. And it was like, oh, forget it. So, yeah, Steve Smith wiped the floor with him. Uh, so I won, I won there. Then the next one was, uh, I think it was Brian Erlacher versus Terrell Davis. And they were playing uh, Basketball Connect Four. Are you familiar with this game? No. I, yeah, neither was you I. You shoot a basketball uh, into a giant Connect Four? Yeah, basically, like, there's the wall back there. Is this, it's a Connect Four okay. board, and there's a hoop over every row of the Connect Four board, and you have to line up four in a row. So if you see your opponent getting three, you've got to sink your basket to block them, you know, that kind yeah. of situation. But I, I thought they just said they were going to play some basketball. I didn't hear the Connect Four part. And I figured, well, Terrell Davis is a running back. He can move. Probably a little better than Brian Urlacher at this stage in life. Because still, T. Day, Terrell Davis came out, and his arm well, was like Well, I would like think Brian Urlacher would be in better shape than Terrell Davis at this point. But, well, that, but I saw that what they looked like. And Terrell Davis walked okay. out. He was super jacked. Like, his arms were fucking enormous. So, I'm like, this is a guy yeah. who works out, like, every goddamn second of the day. Like, it's a, yeah. like his arms were like uh, – like prime Hulk Hogan, but bigger. They were. Okay. <laughs> they look like they look like thighs coming off his arm. But he's lifting and, and weights, not shooting hoops. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. And Erlacher looked like you know he's still a big guy, but you know I'm thinking, well, he doesn't look like quite the and, shape uh, the TDs in. So I'm gonna go with Erlacher. I think, if I remember right, he was one of those um, people who was great at every sport. Yes, that came out after I placed my bet. Um, <laughs> I should have really waited, but the site was so wonky. You had to try and get your bet in as fast as you can. Cause it, the whole thing was breaking the whole night. So, um, Erlacher, it turns out he was like a letterman all three years in high, three years in high school. He's a basketball yeah. letterman and TD apparently had never played basketball in his life. <laughs> so Erlacher, <laughs> so he beat him. They were playing two out of three games of basketball connect four. He beat them both games a total of 47 seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, like uh, TD didn't understand the concept. Like, Brian Erlacher was yeah. just sinking th- three baskets in a row, and TD's still shooting all- at a different hoop. <laughs> and Erl- yeah. So when, when they were done, they were interviewing Erlacher, and he's like, yeah, I don't think Terrell understood the game, really. <laughs> it was over very quickly. So I lost that one. All right, so now we get to the big main event of the night. It's beer pong, and the one team is Wiz Khalifa, and I think Ludacris. Was it Ludacris? Okay. Or... I have no idea. What? I didn't watch it. Yeah, it's someone, someone like that, in that ilk. <laughs> I think that's who it was, but I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, and then the other top side was Ed Reed, Hall of Fame safety from the Baltimore Ravens, and my yeah. boy – Terrell Owens, my favorite football player ever, T.O. I'm going to assume uh, Terrell Owens and Ed Reed have not played a lot of beer pong. Ah, all right. Good thinking. But you figure Wiz Khalifa uh, and Ludacris, they're, they're probably at parties all the time, you know, playing a lot yeah. of the beer pong. Yeah. But I, I just figure uh, I'm betting on T.O. no matter what he does because he's, he's awesome, you know, and he's still super jacked yeah. and everything. So I'm yeah. like – He's a, he's just, a, these are two 
exceptional athletes, their hand eyes got to be good. You know, they got yeah. Be they could just be them. really good at throwing things too. Yeah, that's there's that, that, that possibility. Thought. So I'm like, all right, I'm betting everything I got on them. I bet real big on them. And uh, so they start out on the beer pong right away. Uh, Wiz Khalifa sinks his first shot, and then like I think Ludacris sinks his. So they take a lead right away. And T.O. and Ed Reed yep. are struggling. But then uh, they started talking trash to T.O. And T.O. like said, all right. And T.O. just lit him <laughs> up from then on. <laughs> and they T.O. and Ed Reed came back. And T.O. sunk like the last three or four. Boom, boom, boom. And, yeah, they won. So uh, T.O. and Ed yeah. Reed won victorious. It was great. Yeah, T.O. So strikes me as another one of those people where he's going to be good at whatever athletic yeah. uh, competition you give him. The guy's a freak. He's Ed Reed, amazing. too, because he was just like – incredible yeah so that's why i went with them and uh yeah they won and uh so there is the events over everything's done like all right so that was fun whatever and and i almost gave up trying to bet on it because the site was so shit and you could never even get get it to work and they're like mcafee was even making fun of the site like because everyone knew the site was down and they're just making fun of it the whole night yeah but i like i want to keep going i'll just keep watching what the hell to is going to be on i'll just keep watching betting so here a couple days later i get an email from fanduel saying hey you won a prize and that's Superstar Showdown. I'm like, huh. Well, that's pretty good. Because remember, they're giving away $200,000 in prizes. Right? If I want a prize, I'm not going to get like a cookie. I'm going to get some money. More than know? $3? If it's anything more than $25, or three, I'll be happy because I, I can put it right in the slot. Yeah. Mad Mad Monkey, here I come. So I'm like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Send me a prize. Uh, then uh, I didn't hear from them. And then they sent me another email saying, hey, we still need your address. Because I, I guess I signed up under my – because I was having so much trouble signing in. I was trying different addresses and shit. So I signed in on my Edit19 email address instead of my FanDuel account. So so they didn't have my account, so they uh, needed my email and everything. So I, I finally sent them the email again. And then yesterday I heard from them saying, all right, yeah, we got your info. Thanks. I still don't know what I've won. <laughs> they have So <laughs> I'm hoping by Monday – They'll get it all figured out, and I'll, they're going to put it in right into my FanDuel account. But uh, So here we go, Tuffy. What do you think? What, how much money do you think I won from FanDuel? Keep in mind, $200,000 prize, like a bunch of prizes they're giving out, totaling $200,000. Yeah. The website was crashed all night long. Most people probably gave up because I would have, but I was just, you know, I don't have a life, and I was just bored, so I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Uh, also, I bet very heavily. The betting system was a little weird. And, like, at first I, did, I didn't realize – it seemed like you could only bet, like, so much. But I figured out you could actually bet more than that. So I kind of stacked my bets on uh, the T.O. and Ed Reed. So I made a yeah. lot of money there. And I won a bunch with uh, uh, Steve Smith as well. So I'm guessing I did pretty good there. But I did miss out on the Joe Montana one because I wasn't there. And I did lose Brian Erlacher. So I'm probably not going to be now, the is very 200,000 given out in prizes or was it like up to 200,000 in prizes? It was $200,000 given out in prizes. Um, but okay. it's not like just one person wins 200 that, but I, I'm figuring, you know, that much money given out, the website wasn't working. How many people could possibly have won? <laughs> so I'm hoping, yeah, I, I might mean, I get like, you know, a couple hundred bucks. That would be, that would be amazing. But you know, like Facebook's yeah. not, scared to throw around money they you know they talk about money like nothing so uh well we'll they got the mad monkey bringing it in like hotcakes so they got plenty to give away what if i what if like i I win like a shit ton of money at it just because of to sinking uh beer pong cups that would be amazing that would be pretty funny pretty nice 
<laughs> so if you had to guess, Tuffy, what do you think? How much money do you think I'm going to win? Uh, $20. Yeah, that's what I, I was going to say, 25 bucks. But that'd be sweet. You know, I'd like 25 bucks. That'd be nice. I'll be uh, slotting, go right to Mad Mad Monkey. But uh, so we'll see next week. Hopefully yeah. we'll have an update on how much money I won. Thank you, To. Came yeah. through for me like a champ. But uh, all right, so yeah. yeah, next week we'll have an update there. Um, oh, so tomorrow's the elimination tough. chamber. Yeah, tomorrow's yeah. The elimination chamber, and uh, it's in Saudi Arabia. So if you want to watch the wrestling on the Peacocks, wake up at noon on Saturday. And uh, turn yeah. on the peacock. And Alexa Bliss is there. She's in the elimination chamber. She's one of the six women in there. She's back. Yeah. But clearly, Bianca Belair is going to win that, right? Because whoever wins, it goes to WrestleMania to fight Becky. So it's going to be. Yeah, Bianca. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's Rhea that's would I hate be the only other possibility, but it's unlikely, I think. Yeah, it's not going to be Rhea. They made her look strong, though, on that gauntlet match. So they're still making her look good. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's going to be Bianca. That's the only thing I hate about the Royal Rumble, like the winner goes to WrestleMania and then elimination. Because you know who's going to win beforehand, you know? Um, Yeah. Kind of sucks. So, but, yeah, but Bianca, she's awesome. So it'll be good to see her. And I'm guessing she'll beat Becky at WrestleMania. So uh, then the men's side, it's a great field of people, uh, we got Austin Theory in there and Matt Riddle and um, Brock. AJ. AJ, Seth Bobby Rollins. Lashley, and Seth Rollins. Yeah, that's a hell of a six right there. But uh, it's going to be Brock, yeah. right? You can't have Brock in there and have him lose. Yeah, I think so. So that's pretty stupid too, you know? But... Yeah. Uh, unless you had like a fight. Well, no, cause he's going to. Unless he's the last person, he's just going to be ragdolling the other ones. Yeah. Because uh, you can't really have him lose, but Bobby has the belt. So if Brock beats him for the belt, then you have title versus title at WrestleMania. I don't know if they'd want to do that, but it seems like the talk behind the scenes is that's what they want to do, title versus title. So uh, I don't know. But yeah, you can't have that, Brock that get be... pinned, you know? Because that makes him look weak. So. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't want Brock to win that, but uh, I guess we'll see. Yeah. I love Brock, though. He's pretty fucking awesome. He, he was on uh, Pat McAfee. He was on Pat McAfee this week. Did you happen to see that clip of him on there? No. He, he was in studio, and he did a whole interview. For, he was there for like an hour. It was an awesome interview. It was very fucking good. And uh, he was yeah. very funny. And, uh, yeah, Brock actually has a, quite a bit of personality. <laughs> and he's very entertaining. Yeah. So uh, I would I would recommend people go watch that interview. He also has a really good Stone Cold impersonation. He was uh, doing the Stone Cold, and it was pretty funny. <laughs> and he also does an auctioneer voice, like a Jimmy Dixkin from uh, Letterkenny. He yeah. Do, like an auctioneer thing. It's crazy. Because huh. I guess he grew up on a farm. They'd always go to auctions and shit. And he uh, yeah, you know, to do that. Um. So he's any other big man, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, when you think, <laughs> I never thought of that. Yeah, pretty much. Tough has gotten letter, Kenny. Yeah. Um, a- any other matches there on the elimination chamber you're looking forward to? Uh, Roman and Goldberg. I wouldn't say I'm looking forward to because why Goldberg? <laughs> well, the Saudis love 
Goldberg. They love all the big stars, you know, so you got to bring them out yeah. of the Saudis. Because also Becky Lynch and Lita, which it's like, well, Lita's obviously oh, not going to win. That's going to be fun, though. But how about that? Yeah. WWE started doing these Saudi shows. They wouldn't even let women on the card. And then there was yeah. – uh, then, like, the second time they did it, they let uh, – who was it? Was it Bailey and Naomi, or I can't remember who it was. That first uh, Natalia and I forget who else. Lacey Evans. Natalia and uh, Lacey and, Evans, maybe. But I don't know if they were first. I, but either way, maybe they were first. And then Bailey and Naomi were after that. Either way, they've been getting more and more women on the card. And then this card here yeah. tomorrow, they've got Becky and, uh, versus Alita, uh, which will be fun. You got the women's elimination chamber, and then they also have a, a four women tag match: Charlotte and uh, Sonya Deville versus Ronda and Naomi. And Ronda's going to have one arm tied behind her back. Uh, really? Is that a stipulation? Or yeah, I didn't even know. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah, that came up tonight. <laughs> oh, that's pretty funny. Uh, how do you think they're going to be dressed? That's the other thing, because usually when they wrestle, head to they're, toe. They're always, <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 uh, they're covered head to toe and they got a T-shirt on as well to make sure you can't see the bosom. Yeah, I follow that uh, the Liv Morgan on the social media, the Instagram and whatnot, and like <laughs> just even um, like traveling, they have to be because there was something about she was wearing like a WrestleMania long sleeve T-shirt because like she said, I don't own any long sleeve clothes, so I just had to wear this, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, but, but uh, you know they're making change, so that's pretty impressive. Um, what else is over there? Uh, uh, you got the Usos and the the Viking Raiders. Yeah, well, the Usos. Or I guess the Usos, they're still the champs, right? Yeah. Yeah, they can keep the belt. And then, uh, for some reason, Ray Mysterio against the Miz? Ah, uh, that's right, yeah. Ray versus the Miz. Which I guess this is what the Miz does now, is just gets pay-per-view matches against random <laughs> opponents he picks feuds with. That's fine. Got to keep him busy. Yeah. He's always he's always entertaining. You know. He's living the life Cody Rhodes wishes he had. <laughs> well, Cody Rhodes is going to be living that life pretty soon. <laughs> yeah. That's the other big wrestling news, that Cody Rhodes, one of the uh, executive vice presidents of uh, AEW Wrestling, who started the whole thing. Yeah, one of the founders, basically. He's leaving, and he's coming to WWE, apparently. <laughs> So, yeah, turns out the hilarious. rich guy always wants to be in charge of everything. <laughs> Tony Khan, tiny. Uh, that, that guy is so yeah. fucking spaz. Did you ever see him like try to move or do anything athletic? He's uh, he's like Andy Dick, but less coordinated. Uh, <laughs> <that> guy. <laughs> he is terrible. Uh, he's the worst. AEW is fucking awful. But uh, Cody Rhodes, he's uh, he's such a mark for himself. He loves himself so much. He's hilarious. He's unintentionally awesome. Because he's such a jackass. So I can't wait to see him back in WWE. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. But it, this time it'll be different because, uh, you know, he he talked to Vince McMahon and all the problems are solved for, <laughs> I don't know, two weeks, I would I would guess. Uh, they'll and probably give him a big some push. Terrible just idea. To, just to stick it to AEW, they'll give him a big push. How, how yeah. funny would it be if Cody Rhodes is the guy that beats Roman Reigns? <laughs> <laughs> See, I don't. I uh, I was out of WWE when he was there. I think. <laughs> uh, Cody's so fine. I don't remember. You know, Cody's yeah. great. He's he's a he's a mid card guy, you know. But he sees himself as like the main event, ex awesome, and he's not. But that's how he sees himself. 
And one of my favorite Twitter exchanges ever was uh, someone said that uh, Cody's a good mid-card guy, but he's not a main eventer. And Cody took offense to this, cause, and, he, and he tweeted back to the guy. He's like, hey, you follow me, friend, with question marks. Like, why are you making fun of me? Yeah. Well, you follow me. And then the kid responded, he goes, because you're my favorite mid-carder. <laughs> and it was <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, it's very famous in the wrestling community. You're my favorite mid-carder. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I love Cody. Uh, there's some uh, – yeah, Cody and his wife, uh, Brandy, they just very much want to be uh, Triple H and uh, um, Stephanie. Like, that's how they see themselves. Yeah. But they're much more like Ms. Maurice level. But they're not even. I don't even think they're there. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They don't have the Maurice (laughs) half of it. (laughs) But they wish they were. Um, Maurice is great. Brandy Rhodes. eh. (laughs) She's smoking hot, uh, but she can't wrestle and she's annoying as fuck. That's the problem with Brandy Rhodes. Um, But uh, when they come over here, apparently Brandy, uh, from what the word is, that she's not going to join Cody. It's just going to be Cody. Yeah. So that that'll be interesting because people were joking they'll probably make Sasha versus Brandy at WrestleMania <laughs> just to make Brandy happy. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. Um, yeah. So Cody, I don't know. Uh, I guess he hasn't signed yet, or I don't know. What, he probably has, but I, who knows when he's going to make his debut? If it'll be tomorrow or uh, at WrestleMania? Um, yeah, I saw something about someone said they'll start doing vignettes, and then it's like, why? Why? Everybody knows. <laughs> Cody Rhodes. Just have him come uh, in. He's in the shape. Other thing, it's fine. The other thing is Cody versus Seth might be the first. Uh, that might be Seth's partner at WrestleMania. But the other big news in the wrestling world is uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's coming back apparently as well. Good old to Stone fight Cold. Kevin Owens or something? That's what they're saying because WrestleMania is down in Texas, you know, and he's yeah. uh, from Texas. and it, So he was going to be there anyway, Just, uh, but they think he might actually have a match with Kevin Owens. Because Kevin Owens, the last couple of weeks, he's been bad in Texas, and everyone says he's not going to be on WrestleMania. He doesn't have an opponent and everything, and he yeah. say Texas stinks and all this stuff. So I'm guessing Stone Cold is going to come out and um, fuck him up. Because uh, KO has got the stunner, you know, from Austin, so he'll, uh, he'll take the stunner back. I guess. Yeah, I wonder if that'll be a whole match or if Owens will just come out bad Texas and, you know, take a stunner. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But – um. Because Austin, people were worried about his neck and everything, but I guess he said he, he's been medically cleared for many, many years. He just said he didn't want to do it anymore. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, so things are he getting said, uh, interesting. He said stay the retired. That is the lesson of all these <laughs> yeah, no guys one ever who looks, keep coming back is stay retired. No one ever looks better Your comeback come match back. is never better than the last <laughs> match you had. No. No. With the, with him, though, um, I can kind of understand him wanting to come back because his last match was the WrestleMania uh, main event where he lost to The Rock. And at the time, yeah. he didn't really realize it was going to be his last match. They kind of knew, but, like, no one else knew. Like, he kind of knew he was done, but they didn't announce it like this is his last match or anything. So Yeah. It's kind of, like, uh, weird. Um, but he needs to just look at Shawn Michaels. That's yeah. That's all you need to do. <laughs> Michael's had the perfect ending, and then he came back for some Saudi money. And uh... yeah, <laughs> even Stone Cold, like I, I get it'd be better to go out on a win, but like for Stone Cold to go out for a title match against The Rock, that is the best possible way to go out. 
But the other thing is, Stone Cold's matches were never like he was a really good technician and a great wrestler before he broke his neck. Yeah. But after he broke his neck and he became you know really Stone Cold, he was just punching, kicking, Luthez press, stunner. That's yeah. basically all he did. So his match will be pretty simple. It, 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 he will still look good doing that shit. You know what I mean? So I think he could pull it off. But um, he doesn't do a lot of flippy shit, so he'll be all right. Yeah. Um. But yeah, wrestling getting interesting. So, all yeah. right. Uh, anything else, Tuffy? Uh, you watch the Celebrity Big Brother still? Yeah. And uh, uh, Chris Kattan left. Track or, of, right. Yeah, I don't remember what uh, what would have happened. I guess before the show last week. I don't know. Uh, yeah, they voted off in sync. <laughs> That's right, in sync. <laughs> so then, uh, so you got Misha Tate. And Todrick Hall are kind of the duo who are running things. Carson, who or what uh, is queer a eye guy. Hall? Entertainer, I think, would be the Chiron they put under him. He was on American Idol, I think. He's on YouTube, and he's uh, been on like RuPaul's Drag Race. Drag Race. All right. Um. Yeah. So. It's those two, Misha Tate and that guy. And then you had uh, Queer Eye Guy with um, one of the housewives, I think. And then Shayna Mokler was the other sort of side of the house. So Shayna Mokler won the veto to save Queer Eye that resulted in InSync going home. Queer Eye wins the HOH and backdoors the person who saved him the week before when they could have gotten out Misha Tate. Yeah. For no reason. Is, is Lamar like, Odom he, still here? Yeah, and Todd Bridges. Oh, yeah, Todd Bridges. That's right. Yeah, because it was very confusing this week because it was like, oh, the other side won the HOH. They can finally shake things up. And then uh, Misha Tate and that Todd Dracall guy basically went and said, oh, no, she was in an alliance with us, too. So you shouldn't trust her, even though she just saved you from being evicted and her number one ally got voted out instead. And he believed them, the people who have nominated him at least two times, I think. <laughs> so uh, how many people are left in the House? Uh, six going into tonight, and they were going to vote out that Queer Eye guy tonight because then uh, Todd Bridges won the HOH most recently nice. and put him up. How many times has people, have people in the house said, uh, what are you talking about, Willis? Does that happen like every episode? I don't think any. No. Oh, all right. I will say uh, Misha Tate should win this thing running away. <laughs> I would imagine. How much money do yeah. they win if they win it? 250 grand. That's uh, not bad. for. Uh, and I want to say like the – yeah, I think the appearance fee is like twenty thousand, that range. Yeah. But yeah, Misha Tate's gonna get a nice payday. More than she makes getting punched in the face in the UFC. Because so, yeah. she is she is better at all of these challenges than everybody else. <laughs> she's yeah, she's a legit athlete and competitor, yeah. you know. So, like the one Todd Bridges one was uh you had to take a drink of some <laughs> concoction they had made that it was like, this drink has pineapple, anchovies, 
uh, nutmeg, and what is the missing ingredient? And then you had to pick, you know, like, oh, watermelon or, you know, some bullshit like yeah. that. And it's like, how does anyone even – so, yeah, Todd Bridges won that. Yeah, Todd Bridges. I still hope Todd wins, but, but yeah. uh, Misha would be a good second place, I guess, if uh, she wins. Is that right? Yeah. So that's all. And uh, the, the Internet really hates that Todrick Hall guy. Yeah, I, I have no idea who he is, so I don't know. Is he yeah. a filthy racist? Did they find out he's a filthy no. racist? <laughs> no. He's just uh, kind of an asshole, it turns out. Uh-huh. Uh, what about Peacemaker? Because uh, I saw Peacemaker got renewed for a second season. Yeah, watched the uh, last episode of that. Uh, That's pretty good. All right. Um, we can talk about that next week at Jank, maybe. I watched that. I'm all caught up on Tommy and Pam or Pam and Tommy. <laughs> All right. Yeah. We can talk about that next that. week with Jenk too. Yeah. All right. So I guess we're done then. And then uh, Daytona 500 on Sunday. Yeah, we're definitely done. No, we got nothing else. Um, <laughs> we, got, we got about, what, uh, an hour left to preview for that? <laughs> How, uh, like, who's the favorite in the Daytona 500 this year? There's not really a favorite. It's a, kind of a crapshoot is oh, the way that one goes because it's, you know, everybody just runs in one big pack because they uh, restrict the speeds basically because if they let them go as fast as they could, it would be uh, – Everyone would die? A bunch of people would die probably. So I, uh, all I the cars just uh, – If I would recognize anybody, like who are some of the top okay. drivers? Um. Chase Elliott. I've heard of him. Okay. Kyle Larson. Never heard of him. Uh, Kyle Busch. Heard of him. Brad Keselowski. <laughs> I think he just made that up. Never heard of him. No, that's a real person. He won uh, one of the qualifying races last night. Right. Joey Logano. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Blaney. Nope. Okay. Um, Denny Hamlin. Heard of him. Maybe I'll Martin put a Truex. dollar on. Never heard of him. Maybe I'll put a dollar on. Hamlin's Kozlowski. a good bet. He's won. Uh, yeah, Kozlowski. He's never won Daytona. He's good at these kind of races, but um, part of that is because he's aggressive, which means uh, it's not uncommon for him to just get crashed out of these. So, uh, Denny Hamlin has won three of the last six Daytona 500, so he might not be a bad one. Holy hell. But also they uh, – no, uh, I don't know who has the most, but it's probably Richard Petty because if there's NASCAR records, it's always Richard Petty. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it uh, – it's also entirely new cars this year, so they don't really know how it's going to go. Like they redesigned the car for NASCAR this year, so nobody really knows how they're going to drive. They have like five wheels? No, but uh, they only have one lug nut on the wheel now. Oh, that's right. I remember you telling me that. That does not yeah. seem safe at all. That does not... That's how Formula One is. They're one lug nut. 
Oh, they go right. even faster. Then you think they would have figured this out a long time ago, then, because they, you know, the, when they're changing the tires. Well, uh, NASCAR always tries to, you know, in theory, stay close to street cars. Uh, I think is the okay. reason they kept five lug nuts for so long, but. Yeah. Um, so, uh, hold yeah. on. I'm logging Tune in, in the Vandal uh, here to see what the odds are. For the uh, fuck. What is Tune in at I don't know one thirty, two thirty. That's something like that. Is that Sunday? Yeah, I'm not going to tune in. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think so. Um, NASCAR Daytona five hundred. Um, you watch the oh, FanDuel athlete uh, fuck yeah. around games, but not Alexa the Daytona five hundred. Alexa Bliss and T.O. Uh, Denny Hamlin, well, or Denny Hamlin is the favorite at plus nine fifty. Yeah. Kyle Larson is also plus nine fifty. Then Chase Elliott is third, plus twelve hundred. Ryan Blaney is uh, also plus twelve hundred. Yeah. That uh, Kozlowski kid is plus fifteen hundred. Uh, huh. So who do you think, Tuffy? If I had to put a dollar. Uh, throw it on Kozlowski, I think. Plus 1500 All right. Yeah. There we go. So wait, uh, you'd win 150 on that dollar bet? Uh, no, no, no. If I bet a dollar, I'd get $15. If I bet $15. $10. All right, yeah, my math was way off. Yeah. If I, well, if I bet $10, I would get $150. But, uh, I'm yeah, I would. Dollars. Well, pick five guys, throw a buck on each of them, and, you know, if one of them wins. Hey, that's not bad thinking there, Tuffy. All right, let's go. Uh, get your money back. Let's go uh, Denny Hamlin as well, right? Plus nine. Yeah. All right, we'll do that. It's the first time I've ever bet NASCAR, and I'm doing it live on the Faker Radio Show. <laughs> um, all right, Kevin Harvick, I've heard of him. Yeah, that's another good bet because uh... – he drives a Ford, and the Fords did really well in the qualifying races. So, All right. I don't know if that means anything, but, you know, can't hurt. All right. That, I bet three guys. I bet Harvick, Hamlin, and Kozlowski. So, there you go. Three bucks on NASCAR. It's yeah. It's probably going to be none of them. Um, <laughs> but, you know, Yeah, one bucks. of them hits. I won money. So one go. of them hits, you made money. So, yeah. can't beat that. Now you so, got to tune in. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tune in. But, uh, You're looking for the, the 4, the 11, and uh, the 6. The oh, yeah, who's, who's 19? Is anyone number 19? Yeah, that's Martin Schultz. Huh. Right. Who, uh, you know, he's a viable pick to win, I think. He's a former series out. champion. Who cares? Yeah. All right, so uh, next week, I guess Jank will be back. Maybe he'll bring Scooch with him. Funny yeah. Scooch. <laughs> we'll see. We'll wrap up uh, Peacemaker and talk about Pam and Tommy. And who's picking a movie? Is it me? Oh, well. Uh, I suppose. Do, I, do, do we have a guest? Do you want to go back to Sedaris? Uh, it's been a while. Let me look around and double check, but uh, that'll probably be okay. All right. Let me know. I don't right, think so there's Tuffy. anything that I had waiting in my queue, but let me make sure. <laughs> Tuffy will pick a movie. Um, and uh, what else do I got to say? Uh, 
Hopefully Market Fantasy. We recorded an episode with Tuffy last night for uh, Kickers, Inc., comic book about football. It's always exciting. And then uh, next week, Tuffy will be there for Peacemaker on Flea Market Fantasy. Two weeks yeah. of Tuffy. Tuffy two times. We like to call him. Got to thank Miles Watson. Again, go to Amazon.com or 19books.com. No, we, uh, we can talk about this next week, too, but Shorzy. We didn't talk about Shorzy. Yeah, I, I tweeted out the trailer of it, but uh, do you know when it premieres or when it starts? No idea. I'm assuming not yeah. for a while because that wasn't really like a trailer. Yeah, it was just like a teaser, I guess. A teaser. But, so, uh, all right. So, Tuffy, thank you, buddy. There's no show without you, so thanks for showing up. And uh, yeah, the, so- the soundboard's dead. I can't play.